Hello and welcome to Kickout 299. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today I'm here with Lewis and we're going to be talking about Katsuhiko Nakajima and his departure from pro wrestling Noah, which is pretty imminent. His final match with Noah is this coming Saturday, October 28th. And we're going to talk about the last seven years of his career, more or less in Noah and our thoughts on his legacy as he leaves to pursue other dreams. Lewis, would you mind introducing yourself and also telling people where they can find you? Hi, I'm Lewis. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. You can find me at Hideki Suzuki's Purple Trunks on Twitter. I think that's the only spot where you can find me. Yeah. Excellent. And this is your first kickout appearance. You've been on Talking Triple Crown once and now we get you on kickout. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So to start off, I'm going to read a translation of Katsuhiko's official handwritten announcement that he posted to Twitter, um, and that was from September 26th, and this was translated by Kana. So thank you very much to Kana for translating this for me. Katsuhiko wrote, to all those who support Katsuhiko Nakajima, I'm sorry to surprise you with this sudden announcement. After much thought and consideration, I have decided to graduate from my beloved Noah at the end of September with some encouragement from the company in order to improve myself to the next level. Debuted at 15, now age 35, I want to take on a new challenge for my 20-year wrestler life milestone. Watch me as I continue my quest for a better view keep your eyes on me. And then he signed it, Katsuhiko Nakajima, and he had included in the picture a Noah pen with the old Noah logo on it. Um, I had made the comment that that pen is with the old logo is probably the pen he would have used to sign his first Noah contract um, several years ago. So right off the top, Lewis, when this was posted, what were your initial thoughts and reactions to something like this? Um. It's always surprising uh, when you, especially as a fan, I think, uh, where you have such a synonymous view and image of a wrestler being with a specific company to the point where it almost feels kind of unfathomable that they would ever leave. Um, Nakajima is definitely one of those for me. I think there are other names there that would be uh, would have been an even bigger surprise as much as this was a surprise um, if they had left, like a Marafuji or a Sugiyora. Um, but I think he's been such a consistent person in that company for, I would say, m- almost all people who have been watching Noah um, as a staple point in either the junior or heavyweight division, depending on when you started watching the company. Um, that I think it was, well, we know for a lot of people, it was a very big shock. Um, and then of course, everyone weighed in on their opinions on why that, that was. Uh, but I think that, um, of course, yeah, I I just think that it's, it it came as a massive shock to a lot of people, uh, which is interesting. I think it's an interesting take considering what we know about him and his age and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I'm, I think we're very much in the same sort of headspace on all of this. Uh, I remember waking up and having like a bunch of DMs and then like Rachel's messages and uh, sort of like initially processing this and being like sort of just flustered because it was like, you know, like five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And I was like, just sort of confused by Mm -hmm. all of this. I think I missed this announcement in live time by quite literally 10 minutes. If I had stayed awake for 10 minutes longer, I would have caught this in live time, uh, which is pretty incredible. But um, it was initially a very like 
upsetting thing because like mm. to your point he's he's one of those people where he's been we're gonna get into it but you know he's been in noah for like 17 or 18 years in total when you consider the time that he was with um kensuke office diamond ring and freelancing and then when he signed and he's been assigned member of the roster for seven years so when someone's been involved with a company like that for so long it is surprising it is initially i think a shock um but it really wasn't a shock for very long i would say and i'm gonna probably compare to jake lee a lot um in the experience of him leaving all japan Jake was a much bigger and more visceral shock to mm-hmm. my system um, than Katsuhiko saying that he was going to leave Noah. And it comes down to a couple of things. I think it comes down to, and like you were sort of referring to, knowing him and knowing who he is as a wrestler, knowing his background. Um, and we kind of started off the the year in an interesting place with him. I, I remember this Instagram post from him so clearly. But he was home. He was at his mother's home, which is where he grew up. And he was in the playground he used to play in. And he was walking the old path he used to take from his mother's home to his karate dojo when he was a child. And he was thinking a lot about the past. And the thing about Katsuhiko, and we've referenced this in um, other episodes of Kickout, is that he does not like to think about the past. He uses that as a character note for himself. In fact, he was preparing for his match um, with Shingo Takagi for the New Japan versus Noah show that had been coming up. And one of the reasons why he, quote unquote, doesn't like Shingo is because Shingo loves to talk about the past. So he was really using this as a character note, but it's something that comes up a lot for him. But I thought it was really striking that he was beginning the year talking about walking the old path that he would take from his mother's home to his karate dojo and thinking about the past. It really painted a picture of him um, as someone who was doing a lot of thinking, a lot of internalizing, a lot of looking at himself and looking at his life. And could I have predicted necessarily that uh, he would leave Noah this year? No, that wasn't on my bingo card necessarily for 2023. But when you contextualize these little moments that I think we've had with him um, over the past year, uh, I think it makes sense. And then ultimately it became this thing where as as weird as it's going to feel and as strange as it's going to feel with him not being a part of the Noah roster, this could actually only be the decision that he would make for himself. Mm. And therefore it feels right does that make sense mm. no yeah absolutely absolutely and it's you know i think the difference if, if we're gonna uh, i think it is a good comparison between jake lee and him um you have somebody that has significant more time in a company with um katsu than you do with jake and i think uh in terms of I guess the word would be hitting their stride uh in all japan i think jake was definitely in his pocket in terms of he, you knew where he was at. He was at the right position in the card. He was at the top. Everybody could see him there. He'd worked for that. And he was at that point uh, in the minds of, I think of a lot of fans, um, rightfully so. And Nakajima has been at that point for years and years and years now at this point. Um, you could slot him into that main event at any given time in the title match. And it would never really feel off because he's always, regardless of whatever you want to say about booking or whatever else, which I'm sure we'll get into, he himself has kept that, like always kept um, you, sorry, kept himself in your thoughts as that as a main as a main eventer in that company and as one of the most interesting people in that entire company. Um, and yeah, I think you know after years of doing that uh, and and reinventing yourself and keeping yourself fresh, 
maybe a change in somewhere else, a, a new scenery to kind of walk through is what you're looking for ultimately. Absolutely. So well said. And we are going to touch on so many different aspects of what you just said as we continue on. But before we jump back into all those different thoughts, I want to get to um, another set of translations from a PXPX interview um, that was shared via Noah's homepage and kind of translated this as well. But I do think it's good to get into just to get some of Katsuhiko's own words and thoughts um, about why he wants to leave Noah, which we've alluded to. But um I'll just read off the top here. So he agreed to this exclusive interview with them. And um, I want to read to from the, the sort of narration from the interviewer here. Saying goodbye to the mats of Noah after fighting on it for 15 years, seven years as a member, his reason, quote, 20 years in this career, 35 years in age. I want to challenge myself for this milestone. How far can I go? It's time to start from scratch and test myself. And then the interviewer goes on to narrate, many people find themselves at a crossroads of life at age 35. He wants to test himself alone. As for what he will do next, quote, nothing in particular. It's just me being selfish. When I told the company about this, they encouraged me. I love Noah and I only have gratitude for the company. So many memories that I don't even know where to start. The fact that we all banded together throughout the tough times together, it's my greatest treasure. So the questions are as follows. They ask him, why are you leaving Noah? And Katsuhiko says, again, 20 years in this career, 35 years in age, I want to challenge myself for this milestone. Belonging to Noah meant that I was protected by Noah, so I wanted to lose everything and be on my own. I wonder, how far can I go? It's time to start from scratch and test myself. I haven't decided on what to do next in particular. It's just me being selfish. When I told the company about this, they encouraged me. I love Noah, and I only have gratitude for the company. They say, you've been with Noah for 15 years, including the Kensuke office years. Katsuhiko says, I've been there since I was in my teens. I've done singles with Misawa-san, and there are countless memories that I don't know where to start. If Kensuke office is my home, Noah is my second home. They ask, are you sad about it? And Katsuhiko says, yes, I fought since the Kensuke office years. Misawa-san passed away, and times were tough after that. And I joined Noah thinking, is there anything I can do for Noah? So it has been seven years since. The fact that we all banded together throughout the tough times together, it's my greatest treasure. For the last match is on October 20th at Korokin. It's Nakajima, Shiyazaki, and Masakitamiya versus uh, Mochizuki, Soya, and Inaba. And October 28th at Fukuoka, it's Katsuhiko and Shiyazaki and Marafuji and Sugira. And he said, it's a card full of the history of Katsuhiko Nakajima of Noah and Kensuke office, I think. And they said the future of Axis as a question. And he says, I think Axis is indestructible. I have special feelings for it as Gosan and I created it from scratch. I don't intend on ending it even after I quit Noah. This is just a little break. Korokin and Fukuoka will be the end of my chapter at Noah and a break from Axis. I would love for everyone to come see it. I do want to note that I didn't really bother to translate out the uh, Tospo articles that were flying around. Um, I want to note here that uh, President Takada of NOAA thinks of himself as a character, which we've seen before in other 
uh, Perez companies. He does think of himself as a character. His shoe pro column is him as a character. Um, people get very confused when he's kind of terrible about Kaito for this reason, but he thinks he is a character in pro wrestling. Um, so him le- leaning into those rumors about Katsuhiko wanting to go to America, I will talk about that. <laughs> I think that there's probably truth to that, but it's not really worth me um, having to re-explain and contextualize Tospo and why he would be getting involved with it in that way. So yes, that did happen as well. But I thought that these mm. answers were more illuminating in terms of his thought process and how he feels about Noah walking out the door. So Lewis, any thoughts on his comments here? Yeah, I think um, as we kind of alluded to before in our comments, um, this is the perfect time for him. I mean, Jesus Christ, the man's 35 years old, you know, and you can go back into the early 2000s and you're, and you're still looking at probably the first, like not even the start of his career. Ultimately it's, it's the first like couple of years of his career and he's already great at that point. Um, So I think in terms of going out um, and especially now, with Noah in the position that it is financially and popularity wise, I think this is probably, I can't speak for him because I don't know exactly how he feels, but maybe there is a feeling of, well, the company that I have had to essentially um, (laughs) carry uh, with others, of course, carry um, in past years through some very difficult times are seemingly in an incredibly healthy space in comparison to then maybe I can leave and go and do this uh, and, you know, strike out on my own and see what that's going to be like um, and bet on myself because I don't need to worry about what my home has kind of been for the last 20 years or whatever it has been in terms of support. Um, And I I don't need to stress about money or their ability to create new stars or anything like that. I, I can leave it to them and I can go and do what I need to do personally. Yes. And in that way, when you describe it that way, it is exactly the position that Kenta left in um, in 2014, right? Mm. Um, Kenta had accomplished every single thing that he could have possibly accomplished um, by the time that he made the decision to pursue new dreams in leaving for WWE. It's, to me, um, an identical situation in that way. I really don't mm. see much of a difference, and I think that's been part of why it's been so much easier to understand and accept in in his thinking um that this is the right time it is like you said the absolute right time um Mm. i'll talk about more of my thoughts in general of the way katsuhiko's noah career looks on paper but also feels um because i think it's important to talk about both and to differentiate between both but to me Mm -hmm. this is the same exact situation that kenta found himself in kenta left for wwe at 35 years old it was a now or never type of thing he needed to make the decision then he was leaving noah in at the time, if things were still difficult, but it was the best hands he could have possibly, things were difficult, but he left mm. the company in the best possible hands, knowing that he was supported in pursuing his dreams because the company supported him in leaving when he did as well. And that is the situation that I think Katsuhiko has found himself into. Um, there have been a lot of people in the locker room breaking character and, and being supportive of him. Um, mm. Even like someone like Jake Lee has been like retweeting every single thing about Katsuhiko and his like leaving of Noah. Um, and there's other people too on the roster who have been like just constantly like retweeting and like making comments about um him leaving but in a very supportive fashion like like you said like it now is the time i think it's interesting Mm. to consider what he might be thinking about when he says it like axis is not over um that's interesting i wonder if it means that because we didn't really get to see them do the full like reunion ramp up they've been planning um 
perhaps they're going to continue to market um, Axis once he figures out what his next steps are, because we just really don't know at this point. But it's interesting to think about that, like that is really meaningful to him, that the tag team is meaningful to him, that the history is meaningful to him. And that's something that we can talk about more at length when we talk about his tag teams and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My comments were just going to be, yeah, there isn't a cash cow that Axis hasn't tried to try and <laughs> cash in on at this point. Um, and I think a final reunion or a final goodbye uh, is definitely something that they want to do ultimately, maybe they're, probably them, but probably certain other co- like companies as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think there's nothing but support. And I know that um, in terms of, foreign wrestlers uh who have come over and and talked about what it was like to work with him because i've seen a couple of bits and pieces around uh everyone has nothing but praises for him ultimately in terms of somebody that was extremely welcoming and helpful um and obviously because he has been there for as long as he has um you know he's not quite in the same role as marifuji but in terms of passing on knowledge and information to people that come into the company i think it's undoubtedly the case ultimately at this point in his career and how long he's been with the company. Yeah. To your point there. I mean, he's not just a loss in terms of our enjoyment of Noah and turning Mm -hmm. on a show and seeing him perform. He is such a loss backstage. He is a loss in their dojo. Um, To your point as well, you know, there are so many, um, foreign Western wrestlers who have come over to Noah, they all reference Katsuhiko as someone who is so helpful to them, um, is immediately welcoming, will train with them, will just like help them understand the culture of things at Noah. I mean, Chris um, Ridgway has talked about him recently. Jack Morris has talked about him recently. They all reference, it's usually Katsuhiko and Keno um, mm. are people that get referenced a lot. Masa gets referenced a lot too, but it's really like, like Katsu and um Keno get referenced a lot especially by like these um this newer crop of um of foreign guys coming over and working within Noah they all like say he's so welcoming he helps people in the dojo he'll train with you um so yeah there's there's that loss that we're gonna feel but then there's that loss that I think people will also continue to feel backstage because even though he to your point is is not a Marafuji figure he's not like a Sugira figure necessarily um he was still uh what's the term that he refers to himself as it's like um he's the helmsman of Noah. He's a One Piece fan. And right. he has he has uh, fashioned that title for himself within Noah. He's the helmsman. He was using that a lot when he was going up against Jake Lee for the title uh, this year. And that's, a, I think, a very proper term for what he has gone to represent, especially um, once he sort of had his own redemption arc through winning the GHC the second time, um, which mm. needed to happen for himself. And he found himself at the center of Noah finally having, you know, finally met the requirements for his own I am Noah story, right? Um, but he then solidified himself as that helmsman of the company. And that's where I think we're going to really see um, him being missed. You know, he's another solid pillar to use that term of this company. And so, yeah, there's there's that part we're going to feel tangibly, but then that part backstage that people will absolutely feel as well. Mm-hmm. So moving right along, we're going to get into his final Noah Corkin show uh, match, rather, that happened on October 20th. You had Katsuhiko, Goshiyazaki, and Masa Kinemiya on one side. The other side was Masaki Mochizuki, Soya, and Daiki Inaba on the other. So a lot of history in this match for Katsuhiko. So yeah, so Lewis, why don't you lead us off? Just any thoughts on the match itself, the participants that ended up in this match, just your reactions and thoughts on it. 
Sure. Um, so there's history, obviously, and I think that was the entire point of the the last two matches that he was having. Um, this specifically was the only one, apart from the fact that obviously they're in the same um, faction together, Sawyer and Nakajima, um, in terms of actually going against each other, both of his two other opponents, I mean, Anaba, may- maybe not a lot of people know this, was uh, the person that Nakajima beat in Wrestle 1 for the title um, minutes before the company closed uh, right at the end. But uh, Mochizuki is obviously somebody that he has had dealings with years and years ago. Um, So there is a good kind of uh, timeline there in terms of each individual man on the opposite side. And of course you have his two most prominent tag team partners on, on, on like next room in that corner. Uh, I thought, the very and I'll ask you obviously questions about this. Because I really do want to know your opinion on it. Um, the absolute stark difference between Shio and Massa in terms of attitude through the entire match was both hilarious and completely understanding. Um, Massa from the get go. I mean, they're barely into the start of the intro of their actual song of, of Nakajima's actual song. And Massa has had enough and just walked out and is just standing in the ring for a good two minutes before, as the other two make their big dramatic entrance together. Um, the entire time he, do, he, he just looks like just completely sick of him um, rolling his eyes, really not looking that interested in being in there with him. Obviously, there was a straight kick that caught him, um, which then obviously turned into their double team, uh, the double team that they hit out of the corner, which was great. But I think, like, watching the entire time, um, all I could really think about was, and this is, you know, uh, putting it together from something you just said earlier, but um, it's Nakajima's uh, ability, to, like you said, he doesn't like talking about the past. And I think the reason maybe for that is because of the way that a lot of his past look at him and the difference that he's tried to create in terms of who he is now as a person and how he's perceived now as a person versus back then, which is in not so many words, a bully ultimately to a lot of his juniors. Like he, he is not looked upon fondly by his two most prominent um, juniors and by everyone else uh, current day and above um, I think he's looked at uh, has a lot more respect for ultimately. And I think that the same can be said for them um, back to him. And I think that is the main thing. Ultimately, I think Massa is a uh, representation of his past and therefore this kind of toxic relationship. Whereas Shio is this beautiful friendship that everybody loves and everyone loves access and, you know, they, they can't get enough of it. Um, but then he's kind of <laughs> being dragged down by this perception that has been there for years and years and years with Massa by saying, this isn't who you are ultimately underneath all of that. You can try and kind of shake us off as much as possible, but this is still the person that you are deep down. And this, you know, that ugly personality rears its head more so this year than it has in the past. Uh, and I think that that was my favorite part of the entire match is the stark difference between uh, Nakajima's cu- present currently and what will probably what he wants to be his future perception versus what it has been in the past ultimately. Yeah, that, that is so incredibly well said. And I mean, that's that's why, and we'll get into more of it later, but that's why the diamond ring story emerging back into our 
public conscious this year has been so addicting, right? To really sit and unpack that with them. And there's something that I want to just mention about that really quickly um, that I don't know if I said explicitly in Kickout's One Night Dream episode when we reviewed uh, not only the match, but basically the last several years of, of that quote unquote soft feud that they may have had or have not had, depending on, you know, who you're listening to and whatever. But What's fascinating to me is when you go back to One Night Dream, you think about the video they played before the match, that promo package, which is a really great VTR. They reference things in that VTR, and Rachel talks about them in um, our episode. They reference things that they've never actually said before in terms of what people's perception of them is from that time period when they were in Diamond Ring Kensuke office, right? That to me is what people do in the present day when they're trying to control the narrative. And now that they've said mm. it, now you can't say anything that can be used against them because now they control the narrative. They own the narrative for the first time in their careers, right? So to what you've just said about perception and Masa being this representation of his past and being this constant reminder of who he used to be, right? But then Masa always being like, it doesn't matter because deep down I know who you are. That absolutely is the crux of it all. And I think you see that so much within this match because Masa feels much like he has felt when he's had to sit on commentary for most of this Diamond Ring stuff this year, like the most unwilling participant in it all, right? Mm. But you get that flash of brilliance in the calf killer spot, which is them. You know, it's them at their best. It's them when they work, but they only work in fits and spurts because mm. they are always, always one bad day away from just total chaos and destruction. And that is the aggression. That is Masa and Katsuhiko. Um, but that was why I think that part of the match really worked for me, at least. Um, but to your point about Shiyazaki, it's fascinating because, you know, they've known each other longer technically than Katsu has known Masa, right? Because of where Masa debuted in his entry into wrestling. Shio, I think, has technically known Katsuhiko longer than even Kento has known um, Katsuhiko because of the timing of when all those guys debuted. But that is held up as the golden relationship. It's the golden friendship. Mm -hmm. But if you really, and we've talked about this in other episodes of Kickout as well, the Axis relationship is interesting if you really look at how fraught that relationship is at almost all times, um, they're always also like there's there's interesting points of friction between them. And it's because of their personalities. Um, even the other day at the press conference for some of the stuff, uh, Katsuhiko had made them custom ties. It said Axis on them. He wore his. Shizaki did not wear his. And they mm -hmm. turned that into a character moment between them of Katsuhiko being like, why didn't you wear your tie? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? And like asking him over and over and over again, because you could tell that like this would bother him, right? That he did this thing for Shio and Shio didn't wear the tie. And Shio kept being mm -hmm. like, I'm fine. Like, it's okay. It's all good. And like trying to placate the situation, but there's always that friction with them. Um, and that's interesting too, but you don't always see it in the same way and you don't see it in the same way in this match, but interpersonally, you do see it in those moments. Um, yeah. I don't know if I got into a tangent there, but I just, no, 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 no. The dynamics between them are so fascinating. And I think what's interesting about Shio in this match in particular, it becomes much more about him and Soya. And that's coming off of the N1 from this past year. Right. Mm. So it was so easy, I think, to also have those like glimpses of what we can still look forward to in Noah moving forward when we don't have Katsuhiko here anymore 
but you still got that great stuff that you can kind of dive into with the aggression, which is never going to be over because they'll keep that going forever. We know that it's not over. We'll talk about stuff that's going to be happening with the diamond ring storyline moving forward too, but that stuff with the aggression is never going to end. They'll keep that going between them forever. Masa storming off afterward and like not Mm -hmm. really like not wanting to have his hand raised by him doing all that. Like they will always keep that tension between them because there's so much that still needs to be said but that wasn't the time to say it just because he's leaving is not going to like you know change anything between them but that's setting up story um for the future Mm. i'll 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 just make this quick point and and i was thinking about this as well uh when we were talking about that but it's almost like the way that nakajima perceives people is if you are of similar or older age and experience um your treatment will almost certainly be better and or at least the respect will be shown to you in most cases unless you show weakness to him in which case then you know we're in the weeds in terms of how the reaction is but if you are a junior to him or someone younger than him or less experienced the the chances of you being treated uh, at all seriously or with respect are pretty greatly lessened in that case and i think that that goes for shia i know obviously in terms of experience uh nakajima has him beat in that regard but my understanding is goes older that's correct right he was a little bit older than him yes yeah slightly older than him so he must and, be 41 now 40 41 yeah yeah okay so so he is in terms of age he is his senior obviously experience that still goes towards nakajima but um, I think that is ultimately the thing um, with that that dictates how he treats people. And I think also just like uh, depends completely on history and where you were. If you were somebody that was attached to him as a junior, you don't usually like him. Um, and he wants to try and separate that, that view of him from people that were be- um, beneath him or below him that he looked over at that during that time period that he w- was a real piece of work versus how he is perceived now um, by either his seniors or people that are of equal footing of him that, oh, you know, I'm this really, con- you know, I'm a great partner. I'm this, I'm that. Obviously, I'm a danger to you in the ring, but, you know, I'm respectful versus how two certain other people view him as a real bastard. And I'll I'll add too about Shiyazaki and perhaps why he has more respect for him. And I think you're right. I think that there's something interesting to be said about Katsuhiko having a more hierarchical mindset, which is not unusual amongst A, Japanese people, but B, um, how dojos work. Everything is hierarchical. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, one thing to point out is that Kento claims he is not hierarchical, but I think that is because he specifically had what he would describe as his mm. experiences right through Kensuke office diamond ring. And if Katsuhiko is more hierarchical, he's going to want to do the opposite of that, right? Like they're always going to want to be at odds with each other. So I think that's always really interesting, but back to Shio, I've always felt that their connection um, is so strong for a couple of reasons. One of them being they are both the prodigies more or less. I mean, Kenta Kobashi has, many prodigies but like shio Mm -hmm. was really primed to be the ace the chosen one of this period of noah that he sort of walked into they wanted him to work because he was tall and he was handsome and he they wanted to build him into this new ace for a new era right and then you have katsuhiko being this this prodigy of kensuke kensuke um saki you have that connection between them almost immediately of what it feels like to be these two prodigy 
sort of wrestlers from um, these two very famous people within Perez and the expectations that come with that. But then you have the shared like trauma bond of them also mm-hmm. being failed aces. And that leads into so much of the story between them when Shio is in his fourth reign as GHD heavyweight champion and he's in his redemption era. And Katsuhiko just destroys Axis and then joins Congo. And that leads into their 2020 title match. So much of that is Katsuhiko's resentment that he has been left behind by this person mm. that he had been an equal to his entire friendship with him. And now Shiyazaki is the ace that Katsuhiko does nev- that never thinks he's going to be able to be. Right. So I think that for a good portion of like the storyline, right, between them, not necessarily talking about their personal lives, talking about the storyline between them as wrestlers and as characters, so much so is it is the respect between them is we have these shared experiences. We have these things that make us equal. That's why Axis works, right? It's why they're called Axis. Um, but then you have Shiyazaki fully become the ace he was meant to be in that fourth reign. And it disintegrates that relationship between them. And it shows that there had been cracks forming for a long time that had never been addressed. And that's where you get all the story that goes um, into that and after as well. So a long winded way to say um, no, no, no. these are fascinating old relationships, but they also mm. are so formative to um, Katsuhiko and his development as a character within the time he's in, he's in Noah um, from the very like, you know, earliest years, his earliest time in Noah is in 2005 um and then through to you know current day yeah and i think just one last thing um this podcast is perfectly summed up in the past that he the way that he essentially works is he needs to be needed and if you don't need him or if you if he thinks you're starting to eclipse him or you have eclipsed him he will stab you as hard as he possibly can in the back or you will then become the center of his attention i.e kento um in terms of that kind of stuff and i think that's when you know the past he suddenly is okay to start talking about that when he feels like he needs to address um a junior that maybe is starting to crawl up a little too close to where he ultimately is absolutely i think that why we keep coming back now to masa to kento is because they don't need him they don't want him and that sits with him and he can't let it go. And we're going to get into that momentarily. But I'll also say about this match, the only thing I would have preferred um, coming out of it, obviously Katsuhiko's team got their hands raised at the end of it, which is fine. Oh, and before I even get into that, I want to talk about Daiki Inaba for a second. I'm really glad that Inaba got to have a moment to like really showcase a how far he's come mm. in Noah, which has been tremendous. But B, I- I'm so glad that he really got to lay in to Katsuhiko during this match because yeah. they ha- like you said before you reference it, they have fucking drama. Like that Wrestle One stuff with Katsuhiko and that roster was it was a phenomenal storyline. And that like really like the represent like all the rather what's the word I'm looking for? The imagery of Katsuhiko like being so just dastardly and disrespectful with that wrestle one belt and like what it would have felt like for daiki to lose to him um Mm -hmm. and then to like have katsuhiko just like wreak havoc from there (laughs) um on the short period of time he was able to hold that belt like there's always been since that point with daiki coming into noah he's always had story with katsuhiko and Mm. unfortunately we're not seeing him kind of get there in terms of being able to like overcome katsuhiko yet but every time he's been able to come up against him again we've seen Daiki get a little bit more in. And that's been a really yeah. good journey. And you, you do get to see that in this match. 
Yeah, and I wrote, like I wrote, um, you know, I know obviously this is mainly based around uh, Katsu and his partners in terms of this final, this second last match. But in my opinion, Soya and Anaba were the ones that I was the most interested in in that match because of how much they put into it. And I think, yeah, you're right. He was punished, but he also threw so much at him. I mean, the the, the elbow strikes he was throwing, sorry, all, all the forearms he was throwing at um, Nakajima were rough and like, really really rough and and same thing goes for Sawyer and go with the with the um chop exchange it was um I was kind of shocked <laughs> just how much those two were really really laying it in that entire match um for some for you know essentially a match for somebody that wasn't even a component of their team is who they were up against no, I completely agree with you but it's it's a good it's a really good match in that way and you mm-hmm. also get like masa and his like full i think rachel like phrases as like masa's tour of facial expressions through this because (laughs) like he his facial expressions are incredible like just Mm. like how he processes like his own emotions and everything is displayed on his face but like his like low tolerance for katsuhiko is just like amazing yeah but the only thing like what i was going to say before the only thing that disappointed me is that we really get very little in the way of any kind of closure for right now on masa and katsu i was hoping for Katsu to talk about Masa backstage and his like little thing after the match he didn't talk about Masa at all there was nothing for me to even like pass over to Kana to translate because um he didn't talk about him at all so that to me is they're leaving the door open like there's nothing to say mm-hmm. right now they'll they're they're leaving the door open for other things we can probably anticipate something happening with the diamond ring storyline, I think, um, which we'll get into more in a second. But that was my only thing. I would have liked liked something, even even if it was mean, like even if he was Mm. just a dick about it, I would have liked, I think, a little something with acknowledgement to Masa. But I did think that him and Masa were great in this together. I like the way that Masa played off of him and just was like so like over him from like start to finish because I think it would have cheapened the match if they broke character and were like, you know, hugging each other on the way out right like you need the aggression to keep going in terms mm-hmm. of the story here because we also have the active diamond ring story like you need to have those components going it's yeah i don't know it's funny though because massa like obviously everyone at certain points of times have just said well i'm not really interested in in those other two at any given time somebody has essentially said that but massa is the only true person who is like no no, no I've, I've said this and i truly mean it i don't want anything to do with the two of them whereas Nakajima is most of the time either pointing at one or the other. It's usually not at the same time in terms of where his attention is at. Obviously, it's at the other option at this point in time. Uh, whereas Kento at the same time is pointing at both of them and going, fuck you, essentially, most of the time. is is, is it, Whilst his attention is still on Nakajima, it's still also on Masa being like, well, you're, you know, you're on commentary. And so I must talk to you now and get your attention and, and come and annoy you in that regard. Whereas he has always just kind of been like, I'm done with this after the match with Kento, uh, after the tag match with Kento, he just said, I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And this is me at, at the end of it. And at all other times that he's been involved, it's been begrudgingly, ultimately. Like he's had no interest in being there whatsoever. Or so he says, because I, also I, think, he I, says. I think I said this on One Night Dream in so many words, but it's like, you know, he has the air of someone who's like constantly holding vigil at Mm. a like kensuke office wake but like who is really forcibly compelling masa to show up to these things like he he makes vague reference to like um you know what 
uh, masochist is like making me show up to these things it's like well technically like yeah like there's somebody telling you to to, come to these things but like you don't have to like part of your character could be like i'm not coming and mm-hmm. that the, the the chair commentary can be empty, but like, why does mm-hmm. he always feel compelled to come? Because these two, for better or for worse, are a part of him. There's something that's yeah. going to bond these three together um, until they like they kill each other, I guess. But that's why we're invested. So anyway, so yeah, that was pretty much um, all we learned from that match, that final Korokin show um, for Noah, at least match for Katsuhiko Nakajima. Um, on the mic afterward, Katsuhiko thanked the fans in Korokin and told them to keep their eyes on Nakajima Katsuhiko, who will graduate from pro wrestling Noah. And that was per Noah Global on Twitter. And then backstage, he did make some comments um, that didn't really deviate from what he had already said to the press about Noah. But he did conclude with, quote, next is 1028 Fukuoka. I'll do my best to leave an imprint of my soul in the ring. That was also per Noah Global. I wanted to mention that because that talk of souls comes up so much amongst the Kensuke office trio. They talk of souls. The reason why they talk of their souls in wrestling is because that's how Kensuke Sasaki talked of wrestling. He talked about wrestling being something of your soul, the connection with other people being something of the soul. So I thought it was interesting that he said that there for that reason. So we're going to move right along and discuss Katsuhiko's appearance at All Japan's October 21st Korokin Show after the Triple Crown main event between Yuma Aoyagi and Kento Miyahara, which Yuma Aoyagi did defend his Triple Crown against Kento. So this was a Kento who had just lost a Triple Crown main event to Yuma, uh, one of his juniors. So let's unpack um, Katsuhiko's sudden appearance post-match. Just to set the scene, he walked into Korokin. Kento was lying on his belly in the ring, being attended to. Um, And then Katsuhiko appears in this black suit with a red tie and a bouquet of flowers, um, which was a stunning, um, very mafioso-looking sort of... um, garb for him um and i want to note because i thought that like this was such an interesting thing from kento um kento was on his belly being attended to he notices katsuhiko he like practically throws himself under the bottom rope to get out of the ring but he's selling like he can't really walk after that match with yuma he struggles to the barricade to prop himself up on the barricade but he can't actually fully stand up with a character note like that, he cannot even fathom, and even in his current state, after just wrestling that war with Yuma, he cannot meet Katsuhiko Nakajima laying down. He has to try to struggle to his feet, even if he's struggling and has to lean against the barricade to do so. And it's caught at a very weird angle um, on the actual live stream, if you're watching the All Japan file, but it's worth noticing because he does this so immediately and it's with so much effort and I think it's an interesting character note so um thoughts Lewis on this uh revelation incredible I mean it it was it was I I knew obviously coming in um what happened uh because I was a bit late to catch I didn't watch the show live uh but the noise that came from the crowd as that was happening um I almost feel bad for Yuma because I'm not saying his moment was taken, but was it was a little bit taken um, by what was happening there. Obviously, what he did was a massive achievement, which I'm sure we'll talk about at, on, a, on a different show. Uh, but ultimately, I think, yeah, I, it's it's that persistence in both of them. Um, Nakajima is a bit better at kind 
bit of hiding his pettiness at times, whereas uh, whereas Kento cannot help himself. He has to try and stand toe-to-toe at eye level with this man um, at all given time, even when he's willing his body in pain um, just to lean against the barricade, like you're saying. And you're right, it is an interesting angle because it's Kento is not looking at him face on. It's it's over his, like essentially over his shoulder, staring him down as he walks up to him. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think the, how they capture him going from the ring to the barricade is from like the bird's eye camera too. So it's like, it's all happening mm. super quickly. But one of the things that really struck me and just made me like so happy was Katsuhiko. And I, I talked about this actually in me and Rachel's episode on his time in Congo when he left Congo this year. Um, the episode is called Shinjuku Face on a Wednesday. Um, before he started working with Keno and then was in Congo, he, I would not say, was a very strong, consistent character worker. He's always been a tremendous, if not perfect, wrestler. He has perfect technique. These are things that are just innate to him. He is an incredible athlete. But I would not say that consistently, always, he has had these these beats and these notes of character down in the way that like we see come to like a Kento or a Keno really easily right um his time in Congo however primed him I think for what we're really going to see him do now in this new phase of his career and do on his own which I think is really important that he can do this on his own without needing to have like Keno with him without needing to be in Congo without needing to be with Shiyazaki and Axis like these will be the things that we can say this is who Katsuhiko Nakajima is now this is him as a star in his own right he is perfect and commanding in the way that he enters the room in Corican. He's got like this incredible facial expression, like his command of his facial expressions are just outstanding in this. And he's just pitch perfect um, from the moment he walks in to the moment he leaves. In fact, the only thing that he has to catch in himself is that he, when he goes to leave later, um, he goes to walk out the wrestler um, exit, but then catches himself and then goes up the stairs, up to the balcony for a much more dramatic exit so that Mm. he can look at the camera smile and then exit out the balcony and these are things that i don't think that he was always confident about and particularly um i want to say that he like wasn't good at that stuff because see there were things that he's very good at reinventing himself he's very good at, at working a gimmick but these are the notes of character and building story around them that he has learned rapidly over the past few mm. years, like really since he started working with Keno and Congo more intimately. So this just worked, I think, so incredibly well. You had like the drama of um, Rachel had to run the clip back a couple of times, but what he ended up saying to Kendo was, quote, I brought this because you were supposed to win what are you doing? Which mm. is such a smarmy, shitty thing to say to a Kento Miyahara that just lost a triple crown title match, especially when he can only ever see Katsuhiko as his domineering senior from his past, mm-hmm. right? We don't know what Kento said in response, but whatever Kento says in response prompts Katsuhiko to whip those flowers into his face, which is a pretty hard hit to the so face. So hard, yeah. yes. And Kento sells that after, like all the way out um, of his own exit of Corican, but this is works so dramatically well, and we all get the payoff of like knowing that we're probably going to get some more Kensuke Office stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'll just reference a couple things from a Tokyo Sports article from October twenty second. There's some kayfabe things noted here. I'm just noting again kayfabe things. Um, 
Katsuhiko's sudden appearance, quote unquote, caused, quote unquote, chaos backstage. And President Tsuyoki Fukuda was forced to address the wrestlers backstage who were in, quote unquote, disbelief by acknowledging he didn't know how this all happened. Um, and then Tospo did a very common thing in their articles where they make some vague claims that, quote unquote, some people are saying Katsuhiko is making All Japan his next destination and an announcement will come at Fukuoka. But other people are saying this actually means he will not be back to All Japan at all. The underlying message is hammered home with, quote unquote, all eyes will be on Fukuoka on the 28th, which is his last NOAA show. It's also mentioned that the situation is creating quote-unquote tension between All Japan and NOAA. And just to be clear, Kento has not addressed Katsuhiko appearing at all, not in his backstage, and not in any of his socials, hasn't even retweeted any articles about it. Yeah, and please remember this is Tospo that we're talking about here. Please, please remember <laughs> this is Tospo. Please. Exactly. Yeah. yeah um... <sighs> I, I don't know. I think I think we'll get into what we our predictions are, and me and you have talked extensively over the really the last month about this, um, in terms of what we think is going to happen moving forward. But I would be hard pressed to believe that this is the last that we see of this man and this company. Uh, maybe even this year. I think I, I, I'm going to say for certain that it's not the last that we see of him this year. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't really know what else you could do in terms of ha- creating probably the most like anticipated last couple of months of this year for the company um, by doing this specific angle. And for him, ultimately, because um, my opinion, admittedly, I was very, very worried about a certain ex coming into New Japan, even though I thought it would have been a very weird fit for him to work with just five guys. Um, I was quietly very fearful and thankfully a young lion showed up and i didn't have to worry about that but it was of my belief that i was like okay he's going to respect the dates that he has left with noah and then we'll find out ultimately what he's going to do but instead he's done this which i think gives you a pretty good indication of what we can expect at least somewhat going forward right because i think it's still really early right like it's october Mm. um Mm. he doesn't necessarily have to make a lot of decisions about anything he wants to do until like what january you know Mm. um if he's going to follow that model so we could potentially see him in all japan up through january depending on where he might go next um so i guess my my two questions for you are um because we do have two x's in real world tag league Mm. right suspiciously hokuto amori has been left off real world tag league which I think is really weird. So keeping that in mind, do you think we can expect Katsu to be one of the exes for Real World Tag League? And what do you think is potentially next for him and Kendo? Are we building towards a singles match potentially for January? Uh, I think you... (laughs) Was it you or was it uh, Rachel who originally put that thought out there with them teaming together in Real World Tag League? One of you definitely did. I read it. I remember reading it. It might have been Rachel. Rachel suggested talk, the idea. Me and Rachel talked about it, and then maybe well, Rachel okay. It, it. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll credit both. Of you. I'll credit both of you. But the idea that ultimately uh, Nakajima has gone and found uh, one of Katz's, uh, sorry, uh, Kento's juniors, who has uh, gone on Romori, gone on record talking about how he bullied him or mistreated him and essentially gone don't worry about him i'll take you under my wing i'll treat you right look what he's done like he's not a very good senior yada yada just to get under his skin more i think that is 
it's I'm, I'm almost going to be disappointed if that if that isn't the team now because I think that is the most perfect way to kind of bring him in to annoy everyone. Um, but I I don't know. And another part of me thinks is that too much exposure for him over the course of a month in that tournament. Um, where I'm not saying it isn't special because I think it would be and. Jesus Christ, with the lineup that we have for that tag league, I think it would be incredible against some of the teams he would be going up against. But um, I think we're looking at maybe something before the end of the year and then something on the New Year's shows. I think that's probably something that we're looking at on the New Year's shows. I don't know if it's going to be... I kind of hope it isn't for you for the title that Numa is currently holding. I, I, I think it could be a completely standalone singles match and it would do be amazing regardless. But I think there's a, there's a possibility that we maybe see Katsu come in, make a challenge for that title, and then that might be what we see at the New Year's. Maybe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. All fair thoughts. I agree with you. I think that there's like, there's that perfect synergy between mm. Katsuhiko and Hokuto because Hokuto has been using Kento being a terrible senior to him as storyline, echoing what Kento has more or less vaguely accused Katsuhiko of doing to him. So there's perfect synergy there. Lou made the point to me that they also have a shared love of wolves. Super important. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of really good synergy there. Um, I think what would be really cool about him doing Tag League is that like right now, All Japan has the most like incredible momentum. And it's not surprising for those of us who are in the trenches of that promotion and have been for Mm -hmm. a long time. We know the promotion that we watch and we don't have to defend it. So it would just be cool in a sense to see him do that tag league. Cause I think that people would watch it to see how he would do in it and who he'd, who he'd be fighting. And the, the lineup's already really fucking good. So it'd just be mm. a really cool time to see people talking about all Japan potentially. So I don't necessarily worry about him being overexposed. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess because I, I am anticipating him which we'll talk about in a second. I'm anticipating him going overseas and yeah. whether that's permanently or semi-permanently or in fits and spurts, I'm not sure, but I do think it would be so cool to have him back in like all Japan is a part of his history um, mm. with how he started with um, Sasaki and Hokuto. So it would just be cool. I think for a lot of the yeah. historical reasons and what have you, um, I do think there's a potential, especially if he plans on going overseas, I do think we'll see the the match, another match between him and Kento, potentially for January. And that'll be interesting because I think if, especially if Kento goes over, that will signal to me that he's leaving, like that he's going to go mm. somewhere significant, that he's not going to be able to do a lot of that stuff anymore. And that might be why we're getting all this all Japan Kento stuff now, but I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's But it's interesting to be in a position where like it all kind of feels fun. Yeah. And I think the point that I want to make, and I think both me and you and, and a handful of others have been pretty calm and relaxed about this because there is a lot of just very anxious and frightened energy about what might be happening to him. And, oh, no, he might go to New Japan. Oh, no, he might go to AEW or WWE. And it's like, I think, I, I don't want to say I know for certain, but I think enough of us know him well enough that certain things will be addressed when the day is done. Um, and I think it if, if it doesn't end up being that, I hope it doesn't, but if it does end up being uh, a Western company that he does go and work for, I think he will close the chapter on certain things. Um, I guess, I guess we'll talk about it now ultimately, but um, I'm of the firm belief that all Japan will be his base of operations mainly um, for the next couple of months. 
I think he'll take outside bookings, like you're saying. I think he will go over to the West. I think he will take a couple of um, booking over there. And then maybe a couple of months into next year, we'll see what the end goal is going to be. I think I think I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah, that's super fair. And I think it brings up for me, like, the reason why I have to look at it this way is probably because I'm, a, I'm such a, a huge fan of Kenta. We saw Jake Lee through this in a very different way. Mm. It would make me more miserable to know that he was in Noah being unhappy. And this mm. is like a person who, I just referenced this in the last episode that I did with Sarah, where um, we were talking about shoot style wrestling. And I talk about one of his matches and I kind of teed up his experience with karate and, and how that kind of came about. But I talked about his early life. This is not someone who I want to hear with all that he's done and all that he's contributed to Perez and all that he's done for people in Noah and all that he's done and sacrificed for Noah to exist. I would never want to hear that he is unhappy and that Mm. he doesn't feel like he's living to his full potential. And that was a lot of what Jake was experiencing um, when he was kind of struggling with leaving all Japan. Um, I think a lot about Kenta because, you know, he had to make the decision to leave WWE and go to new Japan it would just make me more miserable to know that these people were not feeling like they were living to their full potential, not feeling like they were realizing their dreams, feeling like they mm. were not just pursuing the lives and the careers that they've envisioned for themselves. And frankly, they deserve that would make me more miserable. So whether he goes to some Western company, I'm sure that I'll still have comments and I'll still have, um, you know, depending on what company I'll have comments to make, but I would actually I actually have a lot of trust in that he knows himself and he knows what he wants and that he'll be able to make the right decisions for himself. And frankly, like Rachel and I were talking about this, like selfishly, like um, I want to see him live again. I've seen him live once here. He came to Queens. That show was fucking insane. Um, And (laughs) I want to see him. um, This is one that no one got paid on, right? It's that one. Yeah. It's that one. So I, I would rather not see him in the context of a hostage situation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just like see him be the fucking star that we know he is like i'm i'll probably reference this again at some point in the episode but um and i think i've said it before in other episodes like i think that katsuhiko nakajima is so fucking talented he's a once in a generation talent he should be as prolific and famous and well-known as Kento Miyahara is in every venue he walks into. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that necessarily. Like it, it, it does in some ways, but it doesn't in other ways. Like Kento has reached a certain level and yep. I will talk about why I think that this hasn't happened for him, but I want him to have that and experience that because he deserves that. So I'm mm-hmm. going to follow him to whatever end, but that's my general feeling about it. No, absolutely. And I think this is a point I've, I've said to you over um, while we were talking before the episode. Um, I think usually in most very well-considered um, wrestlers, you have one of two aspects, which is typically one, they're very young. And from a very young age, when they first get into wrestling, they're a prodigy. Like that's usually, that, that's typically one of the options. The other option is you have an incredible mentor that, that you study under. And from that point, you gain experiences and maybe it's not as um, a quicker rise as it is the first option, but your progression and your ability outmatches that of people that, uh, you know, of the same skill as you. He has both of those two things. He was incredibly young and incredibly good. And the people that oversaw how, how well he developed are mega stars in terms of, um namesake and what they've contributed through the years and so 
because of that, I think you're right. He is more so than than people sometimes we call a generational talent. I think he was a super rookie and now like he is what he is today, which is you're right. He should be able to walk into any company in the world and have name recognition because of who he is. I think, I think honestly, in the last couple of years, that's changed a bit more. I think more people know who he is. Unfortunately, I think that is due to his um, association on a couple of shows with New Japan, which is whatever it is, that's fine. If that's if that's how the name got out, then that's fine. But I think through those those more like more eyes being on him, people will go, "Wow, who is this person?" Because to me, in terms of charisma and you know capturing attention, he is on he's the he is the Naito of New, of Noah for me in terms of. When you first start watching a company, usually gravitate towards one person. I think in the past, maybe that would, in the early 2000s, that probably was someone like Kento or Marafuji. And now through the 2010s and now, I think that's absolutely Katsu. I think he walks into venues and you look at him and like just he oozes like presence ultimately. And then you watch him wrestle and it just, it doubles down essentially. Yeah, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy I want to follow. And this is the company I want to follow for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. Like, he should feel like the guy everywhere he goes. And I think that's what a lot of us are hoping is that in this type of move, even though it'll be weird, it'll be hard. I think there's going to be some Noah stuff in the new year without him. That's going to just be like, what the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. So it's going to just feel weird. But I think that, like you said, like he just needs to feel like the guy everywhere he goes. And this is the time Mm. to do that. I also don't feel like the door has been slammed shut. I believe him when he says that he loves Noah, he's not leaving on bad terms. And um, I do think that he will be back in a way that that is more tangible than I think when we conceptualize Kenta coming back. And Mm. there's very specific reasons for that. It would require me to go on too much of a tangent to explain the differences right now, but I'm mm-hmm. sure one day I will I will explain that. Anyway, I'm going to preview his final Noah match, which again is coming up in Fukuoka. It's on October 28th, so it's coming up in a few days. Um, it is Katsuhiko and Goshiyazaki, so again, Axis versus Naomichi Marafuchi and Takashi Sugira. This will be the match, I think, though, that does, like, I've been very stoic about this, and I've been very proud of myself. I was not stoic about Jake leaving. I was a fucking disaster. I couldn't even get through the <laughs> final kickout episode of the year. I remember. Time, like, multiple times. Awful. Mm-hmm. Um, awful, awful. That was a bad year. But um, <laughs> this match will probably get to me. This match is just loaded with history this match Mm. is so noah to its core that there's just no way that it's not going to feel emotional um there's some brave callbacks in this um marafuji and katsuhiko were in brave together that's the faction that marafuji and sugira actually formed together but then sugira left brave to go to no mercy with kenta which Mm. is a whole other episode in of itself but there's so much of that history there katsuhiko has relationships with both marafuji and sugira that are so formative to who he is as a person and as a professional wrestler um and this to me is also um well they've ran this before this is like a 2019 or 2020 match as well Mm. um i forget which year it falls in but that's also like the original formation of this match is a good match but Mm. this a lot of the ways feels like kenta's final match in noah in 2014 that was maru ken versus sugira and katsuhiko so it just makes sense that we have Sugira and Marafuji here at the end with Katsuhiko and of course both of those guys mean so much to Shiyazaki so there's no way that this is not going to be um incredibly emotional it's just like, like I said loaded with that Noah history I think it's going to just feel like a lot yeah 
Yeah. And I think like the match that happened in Carrick and I'm not saying it wasn't granted or, or I, I don't understand why they did it, but like, I think this is like this being the final, final match. That's where all the emotion is attached to. Cause I was watching the audience reaction on the Corican show and like there were tears. There were definitely people that were crying, but I think this will be the one where you, you know, we get shots of the crowd and half of the crowd is in tears because this is it. And you're right. The amount of history um, with each partner, uh, oh, sorry, each participant in there with him and also with each other ultimately um, is astronomical. Like it is genuinely uh, a majority of what the current day fans would know as the history of Noah or, or what they've been watching. Every single one of these people have been in that um, and, and have been at the at the top of that point. Uh, it's a shame Kenta can't be there ultimately, but I think this if you remove removing him as an option you really don't get anything better than this match to kind of send him off on absolutely and i think that one important thing i want to mention just for this card as a whole this card is really it's a critical point for noah moving forward this card has the main event of jake lee versus keno for the ghc heavyweight championship so there's a lot going on um the story going into that match at this point is the question of will Jake Lee also leave Noah, which has been the question since Jake came to Noah last year. We we just don't know. We've kind of been hanging in the balance of is he staying or is he going? And Keno has gone to great lengths, especially in the build to this, to talk about um, Jake needing to make a decision through this match together. Is he staying or is he going? Um, a lot of Jake's matches have had this theme of this new era of Noah potentially starting, right? And I think you really got the sense of that with the Shiazaki match um, that just happened recently too, with Shio winning the N1 and then of course falling mm. to Jake Lee. So there is going to be this pivotal turning point in this show. You have this this critical moment of someone like Katsuhiko, again, the helmsman of Noah, um, this person who is like part of the heart and soul of, of, of Noah leaving the company. And then you have this main event that is hinged around the question of if Jake loses the belt, or even if he retains the belt, like, what are you doing? Are you, are you coming? Are you going? Um, and um, Jake has to ultimately make the decision. He's been very vague about it in the lead up to this match, but these are two mm-hmm. things that are not, um, they are related. These two things are very much related in Katsuhiko leaving, but then this new era of Noah needing to form around whatever happens in that main event between Jake and Keno. So it's important to understand that when you're going into the Fukuoka card. All right, so let's get back into Katsuhiko's career. We're going to try to speed run an important man's very important <laughs> career here. But um, so like we've referenced before, he signed with Noah and became a contracted member of the roster on January 1st, 2016, after Diamond Ring was officially dissolved. But he had been working in Noah since 2005 under Kensuke office or Diamond Ring, depending on which year you're in. Um, his first Noah match was part of the 2005 Differ Cup on May 7th of that year in Differ Ariake. The match was Super Shisha and Tiger Emperor, which is Kotaro Suzuki versus Katsuhiko and Takahiro Murahama. Katsu's team did lose that match. They had a few matches in 2006, no matches in 2007. And then in 2008 is when Kensuke Office began exclusively partnering with Noah. So they had moved away from working with All Japan and they were just working with Noah. Um, 
that makes Katsu's time with Noah about 18 years or so. Um, some people, I think, do that starting point at 2008 for him. But he was a part of things in 2005. Like one of his first mm-hmm. Noah matches is Destiny, the Tokyo Dome. Um, so that's how far you can back it up. Um, and seven of those years obviously have been as a signed member of the roster. I'm going to run down his achievements um, as well. I think it's important to um, contextualize these. He's a two-time GHC heavyweight champion, a GHC national champion, a three-time GHC junior heavyweight champion, a six-time GHC heavyweight tag champion, three times as the aggression with Masakitamiya, and once with just Goshiyazaki, but then twice as Axis. Um, a two-time N1 victory winner and the first to win back-to-back tournaments in 2020 and 2021. And he is a 2018 GHC tag team title tournament winner with Goshiyazaki, but again, they hadn't become um, Axis quite yet so quite a lot of accolades for Katsuko Nakajima during that time so we're going to cover different periods of his career we're going to talk about some matches and just some important things I guess to keep in mind about these um different periods of his career we'll start with the junior heavyweight period and one of the most important things to talk about in that period is his rivalry with Kenta which is one of the greatest rivalries in modern Perez. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that. It is a tremendous rivalry. Um, That rivalry was very um, defining, I think, for that period of Noah as well. Um, This is when Kenta was also still um, a junior, more or less. He might have been floating back and forth, depending on what he was doing. But this was an incredible rivalry. It's interesting because, you know, we could get into the weeds of talking about um, why certain things in Noah didn't happen as they were happening. Um, I don't know that we can necessarily cover all of that here, but this rivalry probably should have culminated in Katsuhiko being established as the new junior ace and then Kenta Mm -hmm. being pushed into the heavyweight division. But this didn't happen um, because by the time they're, their rivalry like wraps up and they have that break between the end of that. And then when they have the GHC heavyweight title match in 2013, when Kent is champion, finally there's a gap and like Kenta doesn't become a heavyweight for like several years after that. Mm. So um, I could probably write a dissertation on the failure of this alone. It didn't help Kenta or Katsuhiko basically is what I'm trying to say, but you got in this rivalry, some of the most incredible singles matches and tag matches ever it's it's something that to me is must watch yeah absolutely um it yeah it's funny that because at no given time was then somebody that wasn't there to ready ready to fill someone's boots moving up to a different weight division especially for cancer i mean this this is a perfect person i'm not saying they're carbon copies because by no means are they in regards to style or the way that they carry themselves but i think if you're looking for somebody that is like relatively close and in terms of ability absolutely could match him this is the person that you go okay we're handing the reins over to over, like we're handing the keys over to you for the junior division we're letting kenton move up that's what essentially needs to happen um but yeah this is like this is i, I think honestly career defining for katsu at this point because it's the biggest junior star in the company uh against him in a series of matches that are can't miss like i, I watched up until about the last five minutes before we started this uh, one of their matches, I think it was from the 1st of March, I believe, 2009. I might be getting that wrong. Um, but incredible. Like, e- even now to this day, uh, just really good work. And, like, the difference 
while not massive, but the difference between what we have now um, for Katsuyasu style versus back then um, is <clears throat> a lot flashier, I would say, in terms of uh, speed and striking and the moveset that he employs in those matches. Uh, but not at all so different that you can't that you would look at the two and be like, okay, these are c- completely different people. Um, it, there's still remnants, obviously, with his striking base. Um, that's always going to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. You and I were talking about this a lot offline um, mm. with his style change. But yes, he did have that more gradual change from what I, what we would kind of define as his junior style to the heavyweight style. But what you and I determined is that he. <sighs> It's it's not like the difference is so stark, right? Um, because he's always been like he's always used his karate. He's always used these elements of mixed martial arts. Um, this is someone who wasn't a professional wrestling fan growing up. Um, he went to a couple shows, but he didn't really get it. Um, he was mm-hmm. he he lived in the dojo essentially growing up. He trained karate very seriously. Um, he thought that he would go to rings, and when when rings was not possible, he thought he was going to go to K one. So this is someone who thought very seriously of his ability to be um a karateka, mixed martial artist, etc those elements have always been in his movesets, but then you and I were talking about the difference between he's always going to have kicks. He still kicks, right? But we were talking mm-hmm. about his use of the R15. Um, and the difference there is that that's a jumping like roundhouse kick, um, mm-hmm. which he brought out in one night dream this year, which was like fucking mind blowing. Cause he just doesn't do things like that anymore, but that's the difference. He will still use roundhouse kicks, but he doesn't do the jump into them anymore necessarily. And those are the elements that he took out um, when he mm-hmm. moved into that, like he, he made that gradual change into junior to heavyweight. And that really occurred um, around the time he challenged for Kenta's GHD heavyweight championship, unless I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty positive. Uh, it's around the time that he goes for the ghc heavy against kenta that we see him move into the heavyweight scene officially mm. no no that's it and he has this god-awful parachute pants yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a couple rough goes at a uh, costume Holy over the years before we got yeah. to what he uses today which is so much better but yeah the yeah. parachute pants yeah. were not my favorite there's a period between i think it's the aqua or just blue pants that he wears with the red accents which were amazing actually anything really from the kensuke years um when, when he was teaming with kensuke were were pretty great but that middle kind of awkward portion of transitioning into the heavyweight was rough in terms of looks and then he kind of like 2016 2017 figured it out from that point moving forward and everything's been fine from that point but yeah absolutely i think definitely striking wise like you said it's more it's the more acrobatic striking that is kind of taking a back seat where it's just like, well, you know, I'm 35. I carry X amount of more kilos on my body. That is not something I'm going to be doing. Like I'm not going to be doing <laughs> running up the turnbuckle and doing launching kicks off that um, when I can just throw strikes from the ground and do the exact same amount of damage without potentially hurting myself. Yeah. I think it's a combination of that. Cause like he put on a lot of weight and he's interesting. Mm. Cause like he's, he is his his body has changed dramatically in the last year even um if you look at him from the jake lee title match to now he has cut so much weight Mm. but he is lean like he is all muscle right now which you know he's going to be doing a lot of traveling around and such so he's got to be lean i guess but Mm. that being said um he has put on so much more muscle um since he was a junior so of course he's got to make adjustments for that um, and I'll say too, like when he's wrestling in this time period of when he's um, a junior in Noah, um, he's wrestling of that style in Noah at the time. So he's doing a lot more 
moves that you'll see in Noah that are, you know, would be quote unquote high risk, however you want to term, you know, make that term. Um, and he doesn't necessarily do all of those now either. I mean, the the style in Noah is still the style of Noah, but it looks and feels a little bit different than it did mm. in the like early to mid 2000s, right? So there's a mellowing of that, but he just has added in so much more of the shoot style wrestling that we've come to really know and and just love from him. Um, he's mm. gotten so much stronger in his grappling, in his jujitsu. Um, he was not someone who I thought had very strong jujitsu for a really <laughs> long time. I just talked about this um, on the episode previous, but um, he, uh, my guess is that he's been training with um uh, Sakuraba and Laughter 7 um, and has been able to just like completely change his ground game mm. um, through that, which you're seeing a ton of in his matches. So yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting transition. So there there is one, but it's not necessarily this like stark thing, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I think like, as you're referencing, go and listen to that uh, episode, by the way, um, with Alicia and Sarah, it was great, the previous episode. But I think that is the perfect amalgamation of like, how much his ground game has changed over the years. I mean, Hideki is not somebody who is renowned for making you look good if you're not great on the ground. Um, he's definitely going to do what he wants to do uh, and you're going to come along for that ride. But through that entire match, the changing and exchange of holds are incredible. And you and it would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to believe that this guy, Jesus, not even, not even three years ago. I mean, I think that's when you reference uh, his match against Shio and there were just certain awkwardness, certain, certain awkward parts of his exchanges um, where it's just like, well, that doesn't really make sense in, in the concept of the match itself. Um, up until this point, how much he's actually progressed is, uh, it, I mean, not really astounding for him, but really impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is extremely impressive because it's really fucking hard to, mm. to improve and learn a new in some cases a, a martial art like that i mean you even have like ufc fighters who come in with like one discipline that they're really good at um and then they're not so great at like the other disciplines that they're supposed to be mm-hmm. learning to compete in the ufc and it's because it's really fucking hard to train something well enough that you can master it like it just it's really mm. fucking hard i always think about francis Naganu, um who is not in the ufc anymore but he was someone who had, he, he's a stand-up guy. He's like, he's like a boxer. Mm. So like, mm. he is fucking lethal on his feet, but he's not good if you take him down to the ground. So people would always try to take him down to the ground. Um, but I remember, I forget what match it was. I must've been watching him fight someone. I think it's when he won the title. Um, he managed to stuff a takedown and just him in the, in the span of time um, that he had like this terrible loss, I think. Um, I forget what happened, but like he's, his ground game was not good and it led to like this, you know, bad previous match. And then mm. he had this amazing take or uh, he stuffed the takedown in this like title fight. And it was mind blowing because it's really fucking hard to become good at something in a short period mm-hmm. of time. And that is um, why I always give credit to Katsuhiko because um, he is such a like, uh, would the term be maybe savant for this stuff? Like the way that he can learn and adapt and um practice some of the stuff into perfection is is i mean it's just an incredible trait of his yeah and i think and this is and i'm guilty of doing this all the time because we talk about him in, in a way that it's like well he's of this certain age and like you know he's been doing this this certain type of style for x amount of time but it's like 
again, we have to remember this guy's 35 years old. Technically, quote unquote, technically, he's in the prime of his career. And that is obviously why he's making the decisions he is now. But his ability to adapt and change and take on, like you said, somebody who is definitely more well-known for a stand-up striking game and then convert it into somebody that is a mix of both ground and stand-up is super impressive. And obviously, there are a lot of people, as you mentioned on the previous episode, there are a lot of people that have very good foundations in that company because of the way that you are trained in that company. Um, But he, he stands out very very strongly as opposed to a lot of others because it's not just like it's not just general foundation he has like a a deep concept now at this point of what he is doing when he comes to being taken down Mm -hmm. absolutely and um what i'll do here is i'm just going to mention a bunch of matches and lewis i'll have you also jump in and um add any that i might have missed or that you would also like to just bring up but for this period, I would just suggest like quite literally anything um, with Kenta in it is like stuff that you want to watch. Um, one that I highly recommend, and this might be a controversial opinion, but I think that Kenta Kobashi and Kenta uh, versus Kensuke Sasaki and Katsuka Nakajima from June 14, 2008, I think that is better than the one where you just swap out Kenta for Shio that everyone loves mm-hmm. um, from 2005. I think that might be controversial, but I love um, this tag. This tag has so much hatred in it. It's bananas. Um, they have to like pull apart Kobashi and Sasaki at the end, but like they're fine. Like they have a lot more like respect, but it's very heated. A very young Kento has to like grab Sasaki and like pull him back a little bit. It's like, very dramatic at the end but this just leads into a larger pull-apart brawl between kenta and um katsuhiko that literally won't stop it just keeps happening um for Mm. a while after that match they just keep trying to fight each other it's spectacular um you also have the singles matches i tried to include just noah matches here um but i had kenta versus nakajima from march 1st 2009 lewis mentioned that match um you have kenta and shiazaki versus Nakajima and Sasaki. That's from June 22nd, 2009. Um, There's another Kenta versus um, Katsuhiko match. It's October 25th, 2009. And you can find other great Kenta Katsu matches by checking out Ring of Honor um, and Kensuke office matches during this period. Um, In particular, the February 2009 singles between Kenta and Katsu that set up their March 2009 singles is excellent, but it's a Kensuke office match. Um, And some additional matches during this period 2009 and 2011 matches with Kotaro Suzuki are excellent. This is something um, actually that Simone brought up as well. Um, Katsuhiko and Kensuke versus Kobashi and Shio. I just talked about that one. That's July 18, 2005. Um, And like I said before, one of his very first Noah appearances, like it might even be like his fourth or fifth Noah appearance. Um, Also versus Misawa, um, July 12th, 2008. This was a big deal for Katsuhiko. It wasn't like he was a signed wrestler, but Misawa was very willing to give him a singles match. And it's very worth checking out. And then um, there's two singles matches during this period. But the one that I tend to watch, like it's a comfort match for me, is Katsuhiko and Kento Miyahara versus Kotaro Suzuki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. This is from July 12th, 2009. This is like one of the best eras for Kotaro and Kanemaru. This is like... I think they just might have joined Disobey Mm -hmm. during this period. So you're getting some of the best tag team wrestling. You'll never believe that Kento is like a newer wrestler. He had debuted Mm -hmm. in February of that year and you would not believe it. Um, And then Katsu versus um, Jun Akiyama from July 10th, um, 2011. Also a good match. Um, 
He joined Brave in 2013 as well. I'm jumping ahead a little bit in time, but um, Kenta versus Katsuhiko for the GHC, like I referenced before, it's October 5th, 2013, um, is a phenomenal match. It's like the, basically the end of their series together because Kenta leaves for um, WWE in 2014. Two Marafuji tags against TMDK and one against No Mercy. It's Kenta and Sugira. Um, both are 2013 matches. As a blanket rule, and I've said this like to death in this podcast, I always highly, highly recommend anything from the No Mercy, Brave, and New Days, because it was all perfect faction warfare mm-hmm. and tag team matches. But Katsuhiko did come in during the later period of Brave and obviously experienced all of the factions um, basically getting killed by Marafuji as the Suzuki-Goon uh, war Invasion. happened. Yep. yep. So those are a lot of my general recommendations, but you can never go wrong with just like floating around looking for tag matches. No, 100%. Uh, the only ones I would chuck in there maybe for his junior years would be... Oh, I might even be getting this wrong. I think he had a really good match against Ricky Marvin. Um, yes, yes. Yep, I should yep, have put that really in. Good. You're no, right. No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, you have a, a good list there. And then the only other one that I think in terms of tags that is must-watch is him and Abushi versus the Briscoes. That is an incredible match. I only like, didn't write that out because it's a Ring of Honor match, but sure, sure, still a phenomenal. Oh, you know what? It's not a Ring of Honor match. No, that it's one from, happened isn't in it Noah. difficult? It's, Is yep. that difficult? Yeah, that yeah. might be different cup. It definitely happened in Noah, but that's a great match, and I should have put that in yeah. too. But that's definitely good. Don't miss good that. luck finding any good quality of that. I think if you're if you're getting two. 40, that's that's the best you're possibly getting but that is an incredible match regardless if you can make out who's in the ring or not all the flavors and the bad quality of that exactly era, exactly all the flavor so moving into his first ghc heavyweight reign i'm going to contextualize this era we've talked a little bit about this era on other episodes of kick out but katsuhiko defeated takashi sugira on october 23rd 2016 in yokohama cultural gymnasium to become ghc heavyweight champion for the first time so i'm going to read a little bit from the Kickout aggression outline and a lot of this was done by a rachel and they did a great job with this outline so soon after minoru suzuki himself challenged the young nakajima to his title on december 2nd he lost and Sukura turned against him and sided with pro wrestling noah effectively driving out suzuki goon once and for all with katsuhiko nakajima at the helm of the new era at this point noah was in a state of disrepair I referenced before we had talked about this at length through our past episodes but it just can't be understated how uncertain the future of noah appeared to be after the departure of suzuki goon um slipping attendance numbers and a lack of star power to draw in crowds and according to hikaru inoue's noah show coverage in shoe pro issue number 1884 on january 11 2018 nakajima had this two-step plan to quote-unquote restore the arc the first of course was to drive out suzuki goon which he managed to accomplish in defeating suzuki the second was to quote make the wrestling of misawa's noah stronger by creating hot fights with exciting offense that could create and i quote a bright light for noah's future so on december 3rd of 2016 masa challenged katsuhiko and i want to note rachel's translations from inoue's coverage of the match here because he talks about some really important things about the style of the match in shoe pro 1884 inoue had a lot to say about masa in particular and how he built this match with his quote feelings facial expressions and solid attacks um, he goes on to state quote this style with full inflection and emotional expression was cultivated in the Suzuki Goon era it is not a style that was seen in previous Noah fights 
Anyway, compare this match to the co-main on the same card, a heartfelt and intense singles match between Marafuji and Sugira. He writes about how that match was more typical of Noah's traditional style, an intense battle of wits between two men trying to use their own strengths to their advantage. Conversely, he writes that Nakajima and Kitamiya's match was more about trying to, quote, steal the audience's hearts. The primary example that Inoue used was actually Masa's famous um, Buruburu no-sell, where he shakes and hums empathetically while brushing off an intense attack. And Inoue notes that this is not something that would have um, ever happened or been well-received in an era of Noah before Suzuki-gun. Quote, if you have time to make an appeal, you are expected to t- attack instead, is what Inoue writes. So a new style of wrestling in Noah had been born between these two, and Inoue saw this match as something that could bring forth a new and brighter era of Noah, seeing both men as symbols of hope. Um, however, this was a rough reign for Katsuhiko, who was not always well-received from crowds at the time, and I'm not sure anyone would have been able to make a difference during this period, given how contentious things were for Noah, but Katsuhiko has gone on to describe this period of time as quote-unquote traumatic for him. He has used that word. Um, He really was set up to be the new light, this new star, this new era of hope, um, you know, hope bringer to Noah, and it did not feel that way and it was contentious with the crowd and how they were feeling about Noah um and I do not think there was anything he could have done honestly but um Lewis do you have any thoughts to add to that I think that's really interesting that you're talking about because I I know I not something that I ever knew about in terms of and now that does actually make sense thinking about in regards to that match specifically, which I watched yesterday and I, I can say it's if you haven't seen it it is one of the best legwork matches I've ever seen um, Massa put on in terms of how much damage he does to to Nakajima through that entire match to get into the lock, uh, the prison lock itself. Um, but that's interesting because the change in style and the more expressive selling or um, th- theatrics, I guess, would be maybe the word in regards to um, emotion in matches, Katsu is not that's not his thing at this point. I think that's definitely something we were talking about earlier where he's really, really worked on his ability to express and tell story um, through facials or the way that he moves or certain things that he does um, or says. And at this time, he is just pure, unadulterated talent in the ring. And that's all he hears. And I think the, the, uh, the constant comment I would always hear around this time, because this is around the time that I started getting into Noah um, was, oh, he's boring. He has no charisma. Like he's really dull. And like, he's, yeah, he's good. Like he's, you know, he's technically good, but like there's, he's just kind of boring and the matches are kind of boring. And I think that's complete bullshit. Ultimately, I actually really like that rain. And maybe, you know, I've gone back and looked at it through roast tinted lenses and that's, that's fine. But um, I think you have some really, really solid work there for a first title rain. Um, and this is like, like you said, it's a turn and change in, what kind of matches are being presented um, higher up on the card and, and trying to adapt to that whilst also having all this pressure on your back to essentially carry what was at that time, a dying company um, is an enormous task for anyone that, and I think you're right. I think anybody in that position would have quote unquote failed expectations. Yeah. I think that he was given an impossible task. Like there was mm-hmm. no way for him to win um and people were, in a lot of ways, rightfully angry at Noah. But unfortunately, when you are the guy standing there with the belt, 
people will take it out on you. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my experience of Cops Week is interesting because um, I do understand why people would say that he perhaps has no charisma because I, I don't think that's necessarily not true. I think that mm-hmm. his reinvention of himself between the first title reign and when he becomes like the wolf man, that was critical. He needed to do that for himself and for his career. Absolutely. And like we've alluded to this, like that is such a strength of his, his ability to adapt, his ability to survive in what can be a volatile industry. Again, this was an impossible task. What I think is really a shame, and you kind of made me think about this as you were talking, there's nothing wrong like with these matches. And I think what makes me really mad when I think about the way people talk about this period of Noah, um, the Suzuki-gun era through even like the period after when Suzuki-gun had gone, you to hear people talk about this period of Noah, you would think that everything was shit. All the matches are shit. There's nothing there to watch. That could not be further from the truth. And I think that for a lot of us, we became fans of Noah during this era, quite literally during the Suzuki-gun era of Noah or just after, right? There mm-hmm. is so much to watch even in this era. I think that a lot of people's feelings about Noah get mingled with their thoughts of Noah from the golden age of Noah. And then people really start to show how they feel about Noah, like even as early as to 2010 Noah, but like some of some great wrestling happens even in 2010 Mm -hmm. Noah, you know what I mean? So like, I think that people mix up their feelings for the golden age of not even just Noah, but Perez in general with these more difficult periods for the company. And then let that kind of overshadow um, that there was some excellent wrestling that took place in this era. And Katsuhiko's reign is very good. It's very solid wrestling. It just gets overshadowed by the fact that um, there's not a lot of people in attendance. I think that's another thing that really um, people let bother them too much. People who are watching like at home, like us, people will look at these matches and see that there's like no one in the venues and see like, it's almost like, you know, contentious crowds or empty sort of venues and go like oh well the matches must be shit and let that stuff affect how they view the wrestling but that's that to me is like completely asinine in a lot of ways um that you would let these outside difficulties with the promotion and business affect how you're actually viewing the art in front of you it's the same way that like we talked about this i think in maruken part one we talked about the 2008 title v title budokan match one of the like things that people like mention in like cage match reviews is like the Budokan is like empty, but and like when you watch that match, it's weird that you can even think to look around at the crowd in the Budokan with that kind of match happening. But the Budokan does not look that empty. It's not as mm. sold out as previous you know shows for Noah in the Budokan. But there's a reason why they were entering like the black years of the industry at that point. They were trying to save the industry and having that match. And it's so weird to me that people that people let that stuff bother and how they perceive the art in front of them. But I think that is the connection that I'm making to um, what Katsuhiko had to go through here too. Like that dwindling yeah. like crowd attendance and like all the other problems, people let that affect how they view the wrestling that was happening there. And not everything was good. And some things were shit because of the Suki-gun interference and everything else. But there were, were some great pockets of wrestling here and some strong performances from people like Katsuhiko that get completely forgotten about because people don't want to acknowledge this era yeah absolutely and i think and like i don't even know i actually don't even think it's that hot of a take there are some really really like no we're not even just talking about the main event um with the ghc title we're talking about 
up and down the card. There is some good stuff going on through that entire period. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. Tai Chi has a actually really decent couple of matches with people whilst he's the champion. I mean, there are some that are complete bullshit and that's fair, but he, namely, uh, he has a, a title match against Daisuke Harada when he's the champion, which is fantastic and a really good match against Taiji Ishimori. Um, Suzuki's reign is really fun as well. I mean, he has a fucking match against Takayama. Like, how can you not like or enjoy something like that? I don't really understand. Uh, Sugiura has a, a really fun title reign at this point as well. Uh, there are things up and down that card that I think, and you're right, I think there are just certain people that like to copy and paste essentially their opinion of a certain aspect of shows through the entire thing so that they don't need to go systematically through something and go, okay, there are highlights here that we can focus on versus no, everything is dog shit, move on. Like just that that kind of attitude, I think is really how you get just, I don't know, people chirping um, rubbish again and again and again about situations that either A, they haven't watched or B, glossed over because they couldn't be asked because they've already been informed that uh, this isn't that good anyway. So they'll just go, well, we can just stick with that safe opinion and move on. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't understand that. Um, the thing about attendance, I don't, I, I understand if you're tracking the, the trajectory of a company um, and how they're doing, if that's something of a concern to you, it has no bearing on match quality whatsoever. I mean, holy shit, we just did two a year, I guess, in 2020 of no crowd whatsoever with this company and others where there is some incredible matches. And like, yes, fan participation can definitely lift a match uh, if it is dying a slow death at, at certain times. But ultimately, quality is quality at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter if there's 10 people there or 10,000. If you're watching something that's good, it's going to be good regardless. Right. And I think like, it really just depends on what you're watching for at the end of the day. I think too, Hmm. like if you have a more um, like personal connection to, I think the stories and the characters and that's, what's motivating you to watch beyond just looking for a good match or a four-star match or a five-star match or an 86-star match, then you're not really going to be focused necessarily on the crowd every time. Um, And those things aren't going to factor into whether or not you enjoy something. Like you're just going to enjoy it because you got to see the people that you're that you like to watch wrestle wrestle a fucking match. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that this stuff mm-hmm. is rocket science, and yet sometimes I see takes that make me think that I'm an alien. Anyway, um, so this was a obviously very contentious period for Noah, but I think one of the other things that this era gets um, fucked by, frankly, is access. This period is not easy to access. Unfortunately, it's there's some matches that are available on things like YouTube or Daily Motion. Um, mm-hmm. But even like um, on my my VK shout out to Exploita, thank you so much. Um, I he hasn't gotten to this like period of uploading yet. He has the mm. files, he just hasn't uploaded them yet. Um, so it's been a, a minute since I've been able to really sit in these matches too. It's probably been it's been like a while for some of these matches. But mm. there are like some of these matches still do exist in different corners of the internet. Unfortunately, Billy Billy is being fucking pillaged, so I don't know how much mm. is going to exist for that much longer. Um, you know, be nice to your 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 local bootlegger guys. But that being said, I think access does play a role in why people don't remember like how good some of these matches are from this era. So I think it's a combo of a lot of things. But some matches that I can reference here. Um, 
Katsuhiko's relationship with Sugira is so important and so formative to who he becomes in this company. Um, obviously, Sugira is that guy for, I think, a lot of people, but for certainly for Katsuhiko, he is one of those guys. Um, there's three re- uh, matches I can reference. Um, 319, 2016, 1023, 2016, and 17, 2017. The 2016 mm. match gets overlooked a lot because this was such a fucking low point in the Suzuki-Goon era of Noah um, and there was interference in that but the chemistry between the two is undeniable it's a really really good match um October 2016 is when he wins the GHC heavy and then January 2017 is the rematch you can't be wrong no matter which you choose of those two um but Smiley did choose January 2017 for what it's worth when I asked people on Twitter um what their favorite Katsu matches were um as Lewis and I referenced good Minoru Suzuki matches in 2016 um super important to building him up to being the guy who is going to lead Noah out of the darkness of the Suzuki Goon era you have this like really stark imagery of him standing up to Suzuki when I was going through Noah's Instagram which really only goes back to 2015 um last night because I'm sending Celia photos for graphics um there was these wonderful photos though of him like getting ragdolled by Suzuki but like the light would be shining on his face and he would have like this look of pure like just determination um as he's like a little bloody and like Suzuki's like pulling his hair back and like that's but that's the images they were going for they wanted him to be the hero that led noah out of the darkness and again like as we've been referencing like this was a really fucking solid reign he had good title defenses in large part um boss is a great match shio is a very good match um i remember katoge being a good match but him and katoge mm. are always good together if you don't know him and katoge are like best friends they're so close outside of the ring it's the most like you wouldn't assume that these two such a weird relationship it's such yeah. a weird relationship but they are like extremely extremely close um before like katsu became a heavyweight and then had to like you know do things differently because of kayfabe they traveled together and like took photos of each other all the time the brian cage match was good brian cage sucks but the match oh my was god good. yeah so yeah, this issue with the rain was never the quality of the wrestling, never the quality of the wrestling. He was like we said, given an impossible task during a critically bad time um, for mm-hmm. the company. Also in October 14th, 2017, barn burner of a match between him and Ken O. Um, Katsu versus Sugira from 10-4-2018 is also fucking amazing. Um, mm-hmm. There's great ag- aggression tags during 2018 um, against Shio and also um kaito and then there's a shio and katsu tag against marafuji and sagira that's when that is actually it's it's a 2017 match um connor mentioned a really good tag between the aggression and marafuji and akatoshi saito from mm-hmm. july 28th 2018 highly fucking recommend that that's um, during the generational war isn't it like that's, that's when they, the generational yeah. war yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely which is another like it makes me so fucking mad (laughs) i'm so desperate to have access to more of these matches again 2018 2019 like the whole like generational war bit that was a fucking really good time of like wrestling in noah i I have some of those shows so i will i will message you i'm pretty sure i have some of those shows so i will message you you. and i and i'm and i'm wanting to say that that's also when rachel became um a fan of noah Mm -hmm. i think is during that period as well um so like a lot of people's entry to noah is also during that time period and a lot of it is really good fucking wrestling um so when people try to tell you that like the zuki goon era into the um generational war period was like not good wrestling in noah just like ignore them it's just yeah please do yeah it is bullshit so 2019 is where you have him and Shio 
Um, they get the GHC heavy tags twice. So there are tag matches worth watching from those Axis runs. Um, and then 2020, as we've referenced, he becomes Wrestle 1 champion and GHC national champion. There's lots of matches worth um, checking out. I'm not going to reference all the Wrestle 1 things because he wasn't, it wasn't, they're not Noah matches, but they're fucking really good. Go check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly with his national stuff, the 5-9-2020 match from the title, or for the title rather with Sugira, like, of course, like anything with Sugira is fucking great. His August 4th, 2020 match with Keno, formative, fantastic, mm. required watching. Um, but even in a way, and Soya matches in between were worth watching. Um, he should have had a longer reign, perhaps. Um, 2020 N1, full of great matches. That's the one that he wins. Um, great matches against Keno, Sugira, Marafuji, Kaito, I love the story of the Shuhei Taniguchi match in particular, which is the only match he lost, but that is very much an Icarus flying too close to the sun type of match, which is what happens to him sometimes because he's a bastard and it was a good match. Um, Mm -hmm. Shio Shio versus Katsuhiko, rather, for the GHC. Um, That happens on November 22nd, 2020, after he wins the N1. We've talked about that actually in the beginning of this episode, but that is a, like, pivotal match in understanding the relationship between him and, and um, Shio and Katsuhiko. Um, and there's obviously like a shitload of access tags before that in 2020. Um, like I said, anything with Sugira in it is going to be good. There's a lot of Sugira um, stuff there. And then you have the drama of the final tag that year where Katsu um, ended access for that, um, at least that period of time. And that was again, Sugira and Sakuraba. So you have a lot of mm-hmm. things to check out in that period. Um, what would I suggest? Uh, in terms of like something that I guess nobody really talks about, and it is on YouTube, I've seen it, I saw it yesterday. Um, there is a Muhammad Yane, y- Yone challenge uh, when he's in his first reign, which uh, I mean, it tickles parts of my heart only because of Battle Art Association. But he, I mean, Yone really turns it back in that, and it's a really great match. Uh, what else? Anything with Axis with, uh, in regards to Sugiora and Sakamoto teaming together for the tag title matches and also the finals of the tag league is incredible um you have to go and watch that the aggression uh you have to watch both is it gokai is that the tip that's the name right yep um yep, go yeah gokai both of those matches specifically the first one also the t- um where they are challenging for the titles is w- probably one of my favorite noam tag matches of all time um i'm trying to think what else there's so many um yeah, Sugiura matches absolutely are a must. I think for me personally, uh, very different dynamics between the two, but his uh, interactions with Sugiura, much like Keno's interactions with Sugiura, are so starkly different, but incredible in their own specific way. Um, I think it's the, I can't remember if it's the first or second match in 2016 where Sugiura beats the shit out of him with a chair and he bleeds all over the joint. That's a really, really oh, good match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's great um yeah i don't know those are my those are the ones that i have at the top of my head um for this time period but i think really anything um that you can get your hands on in terms of most singles matches for katsu are at least good i mean it's very rarely that they're not there's a really fun saito uh saito and in tag title challenge against axis uh i think it's 2019 that's i mean i wouldn't call it good it's fun um so go and watch that that's and sometimes on YouTube. that's enough like just the that's chemistry enough. between those guys is fantastic what walking in walking in the shit eating smiles that both go and 
um, Nakajima have that entire match is so funny because it's like, this is a fucking day off defense. This is nothing. And those two walk in with all the confidence in the world and just end up getting the shit kicked out of them the entire time. But it's great. It's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of more, I think, lighthearted things within some of those Axis matches. But then if you mm-hmm. pick something with Sugira, they're going to beat the fucking piss out of each other. It's going to be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot to bite into. And like Lewis said, like if you can get files for his first GHC run, don't let people like tell you not to watch that stuff because of the era that it's in. It's important. Um, those matches were good. Um, it just was a, a terrible time to put something like that on him. But like I said it before, I don't think that anyone could have done it differently. Um, ultimately, it, it did kind of build to what he ends up doing in his second reign or with his second reign, which is really important. It's a great story. Um, mm-hmm. But he did describe it as traumatic. And I have to also respect that. No, absolutely. And I would say like, um, not to go any long, much longer on that. If he hadn't have failed in the, in the spectacular way that he did against the odds that he had, I don't know if you get what you have today in terms of how much he had to kind of adapt and change because he probably, because of that failure, I think that's why we, saw what we saw in terms of changes in 2017 uh and 2016 2017 um where Mm -hmm. he started growing his hair out and growing facial hair and turned into the wolf that he is now um i think there's there's no way you have that kind of sadistic person in the ring that's and it's almost like a fuck you to i think the fans more so than anyone else that he's up against and and the perception that he garnered during that time that he went from this kind of um you know baby face um killer to this like sneaky sly and dangerous person um within the matter of 12 months not even it's really a spectacular shift in gimmick that it was a gamble and it worked out for him and it was it was very shocking in a lot of ways because i think people had gotten very used to him as being this very clean cut Mm -hmm. very sort of good boy very um, understands his manners and such because like they're trained in a very specific way coming out of Kensuke office diamond ring. Um, and then he kind of turns into like, he's, he's like, he just sexed up the Wolfman gimmick, right? Like that's what it was and mm-hmm. it's worked out for him. But it's funny. You mentioned that like, that it could be a fuck you to fans. Cause I, I think about this a lot with him. He's so interesting. Katsuhiko is the most generous, kind person when it comes to his interactions with his own fan base. He's always been someone as far back as the Kensuke office diamond ring days where they have always done a lot of like fan meet and greets and like different like events for fans, very like specific private events for fans. Um, He was doing them up until the pandemic hit. He took a break and he has started doing them again. He just did one this year for his birthday um, and had like just a bunch of fans like come to um, a restaurant and he like made like, um, food for them and like had gift bags and like this is like a very like it sounds maybe unusual for us as fans of like fans in the west where we don't have as mm. many like um sort of opportunities to interact with people like that or celebrities in that way like that it's very much i think an idol thing which makes sense um in japan but that's how he's always done things his fans have very personal connections to him because they've always had this access to him and it's important that he shares this these parts of his life with his fans um so he's very generous and very like very kind to people and will do anything for you in the moment if you're standing there in front of him which is really lovely but 
that is something that Masa has also pointed out in him is that like need to be loved, need to be seen as the good guy at odds mm-hmm. with the man you're seeing standing in front of you, who is the wolf man. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It, it, like that's always was the interesting part of access to me. And we're going to get into the tag teams and stables in a second here, but access to me is always fascinating because it only highlighted more that Shiazaki is a very gray character. Um, mm. He does not exist as the ultimate baby face that you see in the fourth reign, right? He's much more gray. Um, there's much more nuance to what he does. And the way that like access can work is that he accepts that Katsukiko has these like more maybe heelish villainous wolfman mm-hmm, traits mm-hmm. and can let these things happen in front of him because he himself is so gray in terms mm-hmm. of where he lands morally right he's very neutral in terms of where he lands um but that is very interesting to me i don't know another tangent but there you go <laughs> no it's true it is true and like um yeah there is a stark difference between both tag teams i mean uh if we're if we're getting into that now um yeah the aggression is very much in the name. Uh, you kind of, what you hear it and see is what you get ultimately with those two. Um, they were, I think for both of them, uh, just, and we've talked about it now, but like pivotal, pivotal, like a pivotal tag team for both men to really, really establish themselves. Um, I think more people think about Katsu in that, in that tag team than they do with Massa. I think also this tag team has just been, not by everyone but i think by a vast majority of people coming in either don't know about it or don't care so because they look at go and katsu and they go well that's the superior tag team i mean in terms of quality but aggression in my opinion is actually i i like them more than i do um axis because of what it represents for both of those two men at that point in time in terms of one of them being a failed ace and the other one clawing at relevancy to really make his own mark. And I think as a tag team, they did such a good job of doing that. And I mean, there are specifically in the Gokai matches, there are moments where, yeah, you're seeing a baby Kaito being taken apart by um, this almost veteran tag team at this point in the the amount of years they have put into the ring. Uh, And Go is obviously doing what he can to try and save him, um, as he does in most cases, and prove that he is the most uh, the strongest man in the in the match. But there's there's nothing you can do because of the chemistry between the two. They had a really efficient tag run, um, from what I remember, um, and their matches were also su- were always super interesting because it was a cohesive unit rather than two. I, sometimes you find that, and I I feel like that you have two individuals tagging together versus a a team that is like a cohesive unit that work together for a common goal, whether it be attacking a limb or cutting off the ring or something like that. Yeah, I am with you. I I am definitely more in the camp of, of the aggression versus acts, which I don't think is shocking to anyone. I've like kind Mm. of openly talked about um, how displeased I was when acts is reformed. Um, And I've, I've stated my my reasons. I I <laughs> was happy when he when he left Axis ultimately, and I think that him leaving ultimately the first time was really important to getting him to where he is right now. But that being said, um, I also want to remind people the aggression, based on what Masa has said, was formed in 2015, but they didn't get the name until 2018, and that is also when they ended the, their uh, their tag team for the first time because they are yep. that volatile, and like that is part mm-hmm. of I think why people like the aggression so much because like you said like they do have this cohesion they work together so incredibly well they read each other so incredibly well but 
they are always two seconds away from a blow up that's going to have them just like completely destroying each other's lives on the way out, right? That is the allure of the aggression. So they revitalized the team for a run in 2021, which also came to an end in 2021. So yeah, it's it's a contentious tag team. I will say this about the aggression, and this is what I think um, has frustrated me more broadly about Katsuhiko's time in Noah, at least, you know, especially if you just look at his contracted years within Noah, the aggression never really got a chance to be something in Noah. I, I, I can even probably say that as well about Axis because um, as long as they were together, th- like if you look at their like two or like they had one run together where they were not Axis yet. And then they had the two Axis runs with the GHC heavyweight tag champions, uh, championship belts. When you look at the combined um, days, though, in terms of the reigns, they were not champions for very long at all in any of those reigns. They lose the belt almost immediately. I think the mm-hmm. longest Axis run is probably 60 days, which is not a long time to be champions, right? Um, the aggression, like, looking at their run on paper, the revitalized run, um, when they take the belt off of Sugira Goon, which is a great fucking match against Sugira and Kazushi Sakuraba, awesome build to that too. Um, with some of the best photographs I think I've ever seen coming out of a show too. Like, it's just like amazing <laughs> photos of them, like with Masa's bloody face and like, them with the titles and they're in Congo together and shit but they had one defense and then they blew up the aggression again to get Masa out of Congo Mm. and while I think a lot of that was important to getting us to different aspects of story Katsu's journey to the center of Noah his journey through Congo all those things are very important it came at the expense of a tag team that never got to flourish they had basically a bunch of like non-title matches, like all these like house show things that were all phenomenal because the aggression are so good. They had one defense against Funky Express, which like granted, like, you know, I think it's Yone and Saito. That's fine. But like, it's mm. it wasn't like phenomenal. Um, And then they lose the belts. Well, they don't really lose the belts per se. They blow up because Moss has had enough of him already. Um, mm-hmm. And then they end up having to have that blow off match um for the belts on opposite sides with each other and it's it's katsuhiko and soya versus kaito and masa and kaito and masa walk away phenomenal match but the aggression never really got to be anything because they just chose to blow it up and make everybody panic over what cyber fight was gonna look like that year the first cyber fight so that to me is the overarching feeling though of like a lot of what katsuhiko's time looks like i mean his first reign not for nothing that's a over 300 day. It's like a 306 day rain. That's a big rain mm-hmm. for your first time with the GHG heavy. We're going to talk about his second rain. Mm-hmm. He had several defenses, but it wasn't necessarily a long rain. I don't think that you necessarily have to have a long rain to have a good rain. Right. I, fir- I firmly believe that, but it's, it's the fact that he has spent also a lot of time kind of just idling right? Or they give him some belts and then they take it off him like a couple, um, you know, just like maybe a month or two later, like his national reign. Why was that so short? Right? Like there's, yeah. there's a weird time because of the pandemic, but like that to me is like when you look at Kats- like Katsuko has so many incredible matches, some of which I think are foundational to modern day Noah and understanding modern day Noah. He has so many accomplishments on paper, but there are so many opportunities, I think, for Noah to do more give him more let him run with things more and they didn't take it and actually one of them is in 
we'll talk about within the tag teams, Keno and him never winning those belts was a complete and total missed opportunity yeah, that I'll take to my shit. grave. Yeah. Um, there's so much that just didn't get done that should have been done. And you could almost see like, well, yeah, it's not shocking this guy would take a break from Noah, right? Because he needs mm-hmm. to go stretch his legs um elsewhere. I think I think he has spent a lot of time idling when he never should have been idling. Um, no, yeah. even like going into the Budokan this year, I'm pretty sure he was in like a multi-man. It's like, why the fuck is Katsuka Nakajima in some random multi-man on your Budokan card? Like mm-hmm. those things to me never felt quite acceptable, right? I think they must have felt, and it's just me guessing. I think because he had been there for so long and he's so, I think one of his most like dominant traits as a human being is that he's very loyal. I don't think anyone could dispute that between his history with um, Kensuke Office Diamond Ring and then going into Noah. He's very loyal and you can never doubt how much he loves Noah. But I think that those mm. two things were used potentially by the company to say like, eh, well, we can delay doing here. this or that yep. because he'll, like you said, he'll be here. He'll be here. He'll be here. He's he's young still. He's 35. We can delay doing this or that. Right. But that's not fair to someone who gave so much in the service of keeping this company going. So a long way to say, I don't think that the aggression were given enough room to really do more, especially because the aggression was a hot team. Like people really wanted this team to do something. It could have been beneficial for Masa. And -hmm. I think more people don't remember this team and remember to talk about this team because they've also dropped the ball, frankly, with Masa. Mm. Oh, I, we can't talk about him because I'll go all day. I just like, it's, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because it's true. It's true. And and that, that is where age uh, being as good and as established and having the career that you have at the age that he is, that is an issue ultimately is that there is always a perception that there's more time we've got, Oh, you know, we can wait, we can wait for this long title reign. We can wait, we can wait, we can wait. And like, ultimately that is true. You know, he is only 35 but your body can only take so much at certain points. And I'm not saying he's decrepit because clearly he's not, but doing that is a timer of age versus amount of wear and tear on a body. And like when you want him to be what you want him to be 10 years down the track, that's not going to happen because he can't physically, he's not physically capable of being at that pace anymore. Um, I think also, and you know, we, people talk about chases and, and certain wrestlers being incredibly good challenges and chasing for titles. But then you get put in that position of being the actual title holder and you can't either in the perception of the eyes of the people that are booking or the audience or yourself, you then can't carry on that momentum. I think a lot of quote unquote baby faces are really good at doing that. um, Where it's just like, you're rooting for them. He is the equivalent of that, but in terms of danger and the ability to, to potentially beat anyone for any belt at any time. I think he's really, he's, he's one of the best challenges in Japan when it comes to titles, because you have no idea walking in. Um, a lot of the time, I think, and that's definitely true in the eyes of most, most audiences, I think. I think anytime he walks out to challenge for any kind of belt, there is like more so towards that of a title change in the, in the minds of an audience than there is this person's retaining. And understand so but i think that's definitely something he has now garnered that he's that good in the ring and has the ability to to take people apart so well that why wouldn't he win the title ultimately yeah absolutely like that is that's the aura that he has Mm. right 
And I think for a while now, my complaint and concern, I feel like I've probably said this on different episodes of Kickout. I feel like I might have. My complaint and concern is that it's really weird that he's not used the way that that aura should command, right? And so that's why ultimately, despite the initial shock of it, I'm really not surprised at where we find ourselves right now at all. But yeah, that being said, we know that we're we're big aggression fans. Um, for people that need the reminder, Axis formed in 2018. Um, they ended in 2020. And then they have the revitalization this year in 2023. And that's where Katsu is active today. We referenced before that he plans to apparently just take a little break from Axis and then keep going with Axis, which is kind of interesting. And I guess I'll say too, like I've never really known where to put this information. I've been sort of I'm not, I don't want to say I'm gatekeeping it. I just don't want people to go looking for things and then put them on to places like Twitter because I don't think people realize that we're A, talking about people's real trauma. And then B, I don't think people realize how often the wrestlers are actually looking at what we say and what we post, even if mm-hmm. like their first language is not English. But he talks about access in such a way that you always get the feeling of how much Goshizaki means to him, Right. And we talked about that a little bit in the beginning, but I do want to reference this photo, this photo that I have from um, the day that Misawa had his, um, frankly, his accident in the ring, and then it led into him passing away. Um, This photo is from an issue of Shoe Pro that I have that was a memorial issue that came out after he passed away. It's like this, um, these Shoe Pro used to do these issues that would come out like when people retired or passed away that are like smaller than a normal issue of Shoe Pro. But this one was for Misawa passing away in 2009. And the photos in it are never things I would post. There's just, to me, they're they're too uh, sensitive to do that. But the one that I'll reference that always has stayed with me since I saw it, because um, I did not expect these photos to be in that type of issue. I thought it was just going to be photos of Mis- Misawa. They have a photo of Misawa being led out by the paramedics on, on the gurney to the ambulance. The person at the front of the gurney is Shiyazaki. He's holding on to the gurney and pulling it behind him as they're walking. But the person you can see walking parallel to him off to the side is Katsuhiko. He's walking Mm. with Shiyazaki to the ambulance. So these two have this very old friendship, this, this incredible connection to each other. And clearly they have been through, they've been through it together. They have, I think a lot of shared trauma that anyone that was around at that time in Noah still carries with them today. There's a lot of post-traumatic stress um, that still exists within Noah today. But I want to reference that because I do think that their friendship is something about them that even if I don't care for necessarily for Axis and the branding of Axis, mm-hmm. I do adore their friendship and their care for each other. Mm, absolutely. And I think like, with a team, well, not even with a team like that, but just in general, when it comes to life, when you're going through situations or difficult times, whether it be in a workplace or in life, somebody there with you who can, uh, who is a part of that situation that you can, you know, seek comfort in, um, in any kind of regard or share in those memories, not in a positive light, but just, you know, to know that somebody was there with you is extremely important in the, in the ability to move on or process or evolve from those kind of feelings. Um, and that is what they are for each other. Ultimately. I mean, we can talk about story beats about the relationship between the two of them um, and how Katsu looks at himself versus go. Um, and that's, that's fine. But yeah, with, with that situation specifically, 
and them being as youngish as they were when that did go down, uh, it obviously shaped the company. And I would say them at that point. I mean, like you said earlier, both of them failed aces in, a, in situations that were decks stacked what some, somewhat against them. Um, and to go from what Axis was, which is more a relationship of support, I would say, than the aggression one was, which is we want to show out and show that we are better than what it, what has been perceived of us in the past versus we have gone through history. We've seen th- the darkest days of this company and we want to show that by carrying this history with us, but also creating kind of a new path for the generations going forward, that's what this company means in the present day. I think that they're similar in ways um, in terms of the message behind both teams, but one is a, p- a pure blind push for, um, relevancy, whereas the other is a consideration of what has been and gone uh, and what can be going forward. Yeah, that was beautifully said. I think there's a lot to to think about in that. I think ultimately the aggression and axis are based on these incredible like human connections he has with these two men, even if the relationships today don't look the same. And even if Katsuhiko doesn't like to think about the past or talk about the past ultimately both are firmly rooted in the mm-hmm. past as much as uh he keeps bringing them into his present so there's a lot to be said about that to be sure and i'll reference here too katsuka was a member of congo uh from 2020 until 2023 kickout has an episode on this specific period of time in his career like i referenced before shinjuku faced on a wednesday I highly recommend checking it out for more details because just talking about every detail of that period for him in Congo, like is, is, you know, another two hour episode, but that period is critical. It shapes him into who we see today. It puts him, um, like I referenced before in a position where he is a much better and more deliberate character worker now. And it really put him onto that path for him to have the redemption arc that we see in his second GHC heavyweight reign, where he finds himself with Congo at the center of Noah. And, you know, we've talked about him and how he treated his Kensuke office juniors, right? But him finding himself at the center of Noah and bringing other people into it, right? Like he brought all of Congo into that moment with him. That was a huge character defining moment for him and a huge moment of growth for him. Um, someone that he admitted admits to um, anyone that would like, will listen to him. He loves to be the center of attention. That's why his Congo um, ring entrance was different than everybody else's. He wanted to sit on the turnbuckle by himself off to the side because it would make him look different than the other members of Congo, right? Um, also using a different shade of red was deliberate. He wanted to look different than everybody else. He didn't want to look like everyone else in Congo. That is very much a Katsuhiko Nakajima decision to make. However, bringing everybody into the center of Noah um, with him when he won the GHC for the second time, which we'll get to in a second, was a critical character moment for him. It was this deliberate leaning into relationships and family again and things that he lost, I think, when practically Diamond Ring ended, right? So there's so much to be said about that period. And please check out um, Shinjuku Face on a Wednesday if you want uh, more of a breakdown of that period. So some matches. I'll always recommend Congo house show stuff in general because they were always so great and again so important to some of the character building going on during that time for people like Katsu, Keno, and Soya. Really that Congo triad group of them was so critical to their development at that time. 
I'll also reference the Cyber Fight Festival um, 2021 match that was Eruption versus How Katsuhiko, Keno, Soya, Neo at the time, and Tadasuke, um, June 6, 2021. And then like we referenced before, the Aggression versus Sugiragun for the GHD Heavy Tag. That's March 7, 2021. Um, the Aggression versus M's Alliance that happened during this time it was Marafuji and Keiji Muto, April 18th, 2021. This was a non-title match because that period of time was just real fucking weird. Um, but that was a fucking good match. Um, Marafuji and Katsu are another pair where like you can put them in front of each other and they're always great. So highly recommend that. And then I also referenced this one earlier, but Kaito and Masa versus Katsuhiko and Manabu Soya on July 22nd, 2021. That's for the titles post the ingre- the aggression implosion, rather. Um, really, really good. And I should have referenced this before that one, but the hair versus hair steel cage match between mm-hmm. Katsu and Masa that happens during this period from June 26, 2021. Um, Rachel has an incredible article out about uh, this match, which you need to read. It's like um, required reading. Um, we've talked about this match extensively too on different episodes of Kickout, but this is an incredible match this really is a pivotal point for katsu as a character and then through his progression with congo yeah mm, what would be my suggestions i would say as, as sad as it is uh <laughs> with the outcome still a great match uh hideki and sugiura versus keno and um katsu for the tag titles is a really good match um yeah honestly just ch- kind of echoing the exact same thing that Alicia said. Anything involving Congo is pretty great. Um, his match against Shingo. Uh, I, well, I guess it's not a Noah match, but it, you know, it's, it's a combination of the two, but that regard um, and him coming in, actually those two shows that they do with new Japan is pretty uh, Congo in general looks really great on both of them. What else? <laughs> I'm trying to think of matches that I've seen recently. Well, we still have some matches that I'll, I'll reference in a little bit yeah, too, like go, more contemporary yeah, we'll just ones. Do that so then. let's speed run the second GHC heavyweight reign, um, which I'll reference again. We do talk about on Shinjuku Face on a Wednesday, but this is when Katsuhiko mm-hmm. won the GHC heavyweight championship for the second time in his career when he defeated Namichi Marafuji on October 10th, 2021 in uh, Ideon Arena Osaka. This was a critically important match. Um, the change in him from the 2020 match with Shiyazaki to this match with Marafuji is so important to understanding him as a character. In the 2020 match, he doesn't care about winning. He only cares about hurting Shiyazaki. There's moments that he can take to win in the 2020 match. He doesn't take because he doesn't care. He cares about hurting Shio. In this 2021 match, he wants to win. He wants to be at the center of Noah. And the belt now has meaning to it because it is Marafuji who is holding it. He cares so deeply about Naomichi Marafuji. He has known Marafuji for a long time. Marafuji speaks about him in a very interesting way, but also in a very caring and loving way. Like these two have a very deep friendship and like they've known each other again for a long time. Marafuji is much older than him. Marafuji's like, God, Marafuji is like 44 now. And Katsu's like younger. So they've had this relationship now for a long time and he's seen him through these different periods of his career. So they just have this, this relationship. One of the reasons that um, Katsu signed with Noah that he cited at least was that he um, was in brave, like Marafuji had let him into brave and Mm -hmm. like he wanted to be a part of Noah. Um, So they have these connections with each other. Marafuji kid like has written about him in places like his um, follow me account, which no longer exists. Follow me, I think must've gone bankrupt or something because it doesn't exist. 
exist anymore. <laughs> but when Marafuji would um would use his account, he had written about Katsuhiko in like one of the most humanizing, beautiful ways I'd ever heard anyone write about someone. It's a shame that that doesn't exist anymore, but it was behind a paywall. So I try not to mm-hmm. reference it too much and I try to respect that. But yeah, they have a, a very deep relationship and it was meaningful that Katsuhiko got to win this from someone that he cares so much about and vice versa. Um, and it was critical because Marafuji is truly looked at there and obviously by people who watch Noah as the the symbol of Noah, the heir to the Ark, the genius of the Ark, whatever you want to call Marafuji, mm-hmm. that is who he is. Um, so winning um, the GHC heavy from that person who holds so much weight um, to everyone in the company, that is a hell of a way to start your second reign. Um, and this really is a redemption arc period for Katsuhiko, because again, we had just talked about his more traumatic first reign um, with the belt. And this is him really um, trying to find himself at the center of Noah and accepting himself for the ace that he can be, not the ace that I think he had envisioned himself wanting to be, but could never become. This is him really stepping into himself. Um, So yeah, big thoughts about that match, but it is really important. I do think that that match in particular is one of the best um, modern day Noah matches you can put on. I think the match between him um, and Marafuji is just outstanding. So this was you know, an incredible little rain. It's, you know, it, it doesn't last. It lasts from, I guess, basically October through March. Um, mm. I think it's when it comes to an end. Um, so I, I wrote down quite a few matches within here that I can talk about, but Lewis, just, just give me your thoughts on the rain itself. Um, maybe lasting impact. And then we can also talk about the controversy with, um, you know, Fujita taking the belt off him, if, of course, as well. Great. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think there was a real feeling up until that point of uh, everyone would come, we'd get up to a Katsu challenge for a t- for the title and we'd go, well, this is the ultimate, you know, he's reached all his goals that he needs to do. Like he's come as far as he needs to come. He's learned his lessons that would then prepare him to then um, be champion. And each time um, it was, well, at least twice from my memory, it was proven because I think he did the exact same thing with Sugiora that he did with Go for different reasons, obviously, but it was about damage. You know, it was the importance of winning the match was definitely not at the forefront. Like it was absolutely about how much pain can I inflict? How much can I embarrass this man during this title match? That's what I care about ultimately. And I think that was always the case. And it was more about that than it ever was about um, having a one, two, three step plan in terms of actually getting to the end goal of winning and taking the title. Um, and I, a hundred percent, I think there's no other way you can get around it than crediting Keno and Congo as a whole in shaping him into what he needed to be to ultimate to 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 take that moment and and become the champion. And um, I think when it's all said and done, a lot of people need to give Keno his due um for what he did with that with that group um and how much he built. Uh, the confidence and the ability of pretty much every single member in, in that group at any given time. And uh, more, maybe I, I would say maybe Sawyer is a little bit more in terms of, of how much he came uh, from where he was to where he is now. But Katsu is a, a, absolutely second in terms of what he was walking into that group versus what he was walking out the day that he left. And that, that's obvious because he won the title during that point. But yeah, I think that was the amalgamation of of the last four years. Yeah, so the last four years of development, which was a huge, huge change has taken place during that time period. Um, 
he became, I think, like you said, he, he might not have become the ace that he thought he was going to be, but he was the ace that he needed to be to to be in the position that he was in. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And like, to your point, like Soya was already a great character worker mm-hmm. before his rise to what he is now, which is like, I don't know, a future fucking ace of this company. It's so that's wild. What, that's what um, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy that they've, they're investing so much money into him, but like, um, he was already a phenomenal character worker and you can see that through his entire time in Congo, but his work with Keno makes him a fucking star and then like even like his like they had a have a much longer relationship but like the artist that is now known as um amaksa like you can't say that like his experience now in noah isn't shaped by the work he did in in, Mm. um congo with keno right like keno Mm -hmm. deserves the credit for like you said what he did with congo and how he worked with these guys and how they were all able to learn from each other and then start to like really develop like these other skills and like what they were able to do it's it's really remarkable and i've i think i said this to rachel recently but there is so much in noah that is happening right now or has happened that wouldn't be happening or have happened if keno didn't exist in noah so much of it is coming from one fucking guy and it's him mm. Mm. yeah absolutely and like yeah and you think like it's almost uh, it's honestly almost like congo is like the cocoon of a butterfly ultimately which is like you come in a caterpillar you spend your time changing and evolving into what it is that you ultimately become once you leave and i think a lot of people were very worried about uh what would happen to sawyer once the group ended it's like oh shit is he going to be able to continue are they going to kind of just like stop looking at him as a prospect and it's like that's clearly not been the case and that's not been the case for almost every single member in that group i think from katoge being the first member who left to the group ending i think most people that have lost left that group have hit their career peak to this point once they kind of graduated from the group itself or when it disbanded. Absolutely. And do you have any, I guess, lasting thoughts on how this reign with Casapico ended? Uh, Look, outcomes are outcomes and it it is what it is. It was disappointing, I think, for a lot of people that that was, first of all, who it was and then um, how short of a reign it was. But I will, I will say this, um, and this isn't specific to the rain itself. I thought as, as short as it was, I think it, it did exactly what it needed to do, even up to today, which is reinstall um, uh, support and, and confidence in Katsuhiko and us as well as um, fans of him to say, this guy is, this is where he's supposed to be. And this is where he's supposed to be. He's, he has supposed to be for the last however many years um, in this company and also more clearly now in other companies going forward. I think he th- this is the position that he should always be in and he's earned this position. And going forward, I think that's exactly where he'll find himself again. Um, I will say that the discourse that I've seen and heard from other podcasts and people online about the fact that this moment was the reason why he's going to leave the company is ridiculous like that is a stupid take in my opinion i think you know outcomes as much as you probably don't want to lose that momentum um the idea that he you know after however many years have just gone well this is the straw that broke the camel's back is kind of dumb you know like he loves this company as we've mentioned plenty of times now 
Um, he loves this company and a single decision is not going to derail his commitment to that company. I think it's very clear, very, very clear that age, where he, he is in his career, um, the amount of time he spent with Noah, I think that's they are clearly the deciding points rather than, well, my title reign got sh- cut short by a man that's in his 50s. Right. I think that anyone that could be making or drawing that comparison is frankly a child. Um, mm-hmm. That Like, that's just bizarre. I'm glad I don't listen to many podcasts that talk about yep. wrestling. Um, <laughs> because anyone that could be drawing those comparisons is, I think, frankly, a child. And that actually brings me to, like, really what my central sort of frustration with the whole controversy was. Like, was I happy with it? No. But more so because it happened on a fucking Wednesday Mm. more than anything else, right? Like, for him to lose the title that way on a Wednesday was deeply disappointing in some ways. But to me, there was so much outcry over this. And yet, and we're going to talk about this when I get to Jonathan's notes, because Jonathan was supposed to join us today and then obviously could not join Mm. us. But all I heard about in this really important reign for Katsuhiko filled with great matches prior to the the Fujita match was, oh, because of these um, attendance numbers that I'm going to misrepresent and misunderstand, Katsuhiko is not a draw. And I heard crickets around the Masa defense, which was an incredible match that really Mm -hmm. only gets better with each and every time you watch it. And yet all of a sudden we had all these people just like making these insane Twitter diatribes and blog posts and like podcast rants screaming and crying about um, Fujita. And then after that, you would think that people would want to rally around someone like Akatsuhiko Nakajima more than ever if they felt like he was truly wronged by the company. Uh, No, they don't give a shit about him. They don't give a shit about Noah. They just wanted to find a way to criticize Noah for this perceived, they only put over older guys complaint that people have had with Noah for years it was just an opportunity to scream and cry about an old complaint but then they showed no actual care or solidarity for Katsuhiko Nakajima that's the point that actually gets to me more at the end of the day removed from all of this shit is not that it actually happened in and of itself because he's a professional if he's told he's losing to Fujita he will lose to Fujita he's not Mm -hmm. a child he will he will lose to Fujita he's he's a career professional um he's been doing this since he was quite literally 15 years old i think he knows how to lose what pisses me off more is that in all this happening and in all the screaming and crying and bemoaning of this um these people like go out of their way to demonstrate that they don't actually care about katsuhiko and they don't really care about watching or supporting noah wrestlers beyond complaining about this so to me it's like what are we supposed to even take from that yep Yep. And that's the thing. And that, that is, and, and that point is exactly it. It's um, you, you're not really a fan of the company and that's fine, but admit that and don't pretend like that's not the case. Like, and that, and it's very, for the people that do watch, it's very obvious that that is the case. And I mean, I've I think I sent you a couple of weeks ago, a reply that I got on Twitter <laughs> about this, which was just, I mean, I personally couldn't curate something that is more to that point of, I, I read occasional things that are tweeted. I might be in a discord and people have takes and I listen to certain podcasts and that's what they say. And it is a regurgitation of those points. It's like, it was something along the lines of Kaito's going to new Japan. 
they're pushing Hayata to the moon, yada, yada. I was just like, okay, you don't watch the company and that's fine. It's okay if you don't want to watch Noah, but then don't comment on it because ultimately the only person that looks stupid and uninformed is you. And like you contribute nothing then to that conversation. Um, it's fine if you watch and that's your opinion. It's, I still don't, I still don't agree with you, but at least you've watched it enough to make that informed opinion. But it's the, it's the, it's the perception of, well, I know everything that's going on from a discord message or a tweet. You don't, you have no clue. You have absolutely no clue. Or an old voices of wrestling made up report. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But we won't even get into that. Yeah. It's, it's all just, um, I think a bunch of bullshit. And again, Mm -hmm. it it all ends up distracting from what was a solid fucking rain of really great matches of Mm -hmm. like, you know, I would say good to excellent matches. Um, And like, and again, like the importance of the storytelling here, which when you're only focusing on the end with Fujita and you're not talking about the storytelling from him winning the belt from Mara Fuji all the way through the rain. um, You're just telling me that you're not a very serious fan of wrestling. If you're not talking about the storytelling of this match and what it meant for him. And then also when you make him leaving about this thing that feels like it happened 87 eons ago with Fujita, you're making it seem like he's not a professional and he's a fucking child and he's Mm. not making what to me is still a very brave decision for any wrestler in Japan to walk out of what is essentially, Mm -hmm. it's not technically his home promotion, but it's one of the promotions he's been the most closely linked to. He could have stayed in this promotion until he quite literally retired. Right. Yeah. And then worked in the office not to right, and worked in the office. He's choosing not to, he's choosing to do the really brave thing and the really difficult thing of gambling on himself and seeing what else he can do. Um, and that's really fucking hard. That was also a mm-hmm. really brave decision that Jake did as well. Like it's not intended. These things are, these are incredibly brave and difficult decisions to make and they're playing with their money and they're playing with a lot of things that can be difficult for them as career professionals. So when you make it about he's leaving, cause he's pissed about something that happened with Fujita, um, you're telling me that you don't view him as a human being and you are a child that can't actually talk about wrestling yep. critically. Anyway, we'll move right along into matches. <laughs> um, so from that, that that whole period, he had quite a solid N1 going into um, mm. winning the belt from Mara Fuji. I remember liking all of them. I know I really enjoyed the Kotaro match that was so cool that we had Kotaro Suzuki in that N1 that year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He had a great match with, with Funaki. Um, and of course, um, the Keno match where he won the N1 um, against yes. Keno. Um, and then like we talked about before, the Marafuji match on um, 10-10-21, I think it's a modern classic of Noah. You have to watch that if you haven't already. You get the incredible image in the first like couple minutes of them being in the ring of Marafuji solo in the ring looking at Katsuhiko on the turnbuckle flanked by Congo. And it's just like this most incredible image of um, the symbol of Noah versus Congo, right? It's just phenomenal. This was followed by a great first defense against... Um, Tanaka, then the 60-minute time limit national versus GHD heavy draw against Keno. We've talked about that one extensively um, on this podcast, but me and Rachel are huge fucking fans of that draw. Mm-hmm. It's just excellent. Um, the Budokan defense against Shizaki on January 1st, 2022. Um, he needed to win this match mm. to find his redemption and his I am Noah. So it's, again, critical 
critical watching for those the storyline beats there was a lot of stuff on the line going into it shiazaki shio did this really unhinged thing of saying that if um i win you have to come back to axis which is fucking crazy and then um katu said if i win you can never say i am noah again shio broke that like immediately he found a loophole he did find a loophole yeah um masa defense on january 16th 2022 that one, like I said before, gets better with every watch. It's just a tremendous effort um, from both of them with very emotional storytelling to the both of them and just like these perfect character notes from both of them all the way through. Um, and then these matches, I also wanted to mention um, Keno and Katsuhiko as like a tag team. Um, I've mentioned, and Lewis has mentioned, I think before, that we are disappointed that these two never really became something. They should have been GHC heavyweight tag champions. Um, I will go to the grave pissed about this. They had two challenges. One was Sugira Goon, Hideki Suzuki, and um, Takashi Sugira versus Kongo. That was from April 30th, 2022. And then there was also the pre-match, which is Hideki and Katsu um, from April 8th, 2022. That to me is a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also the Satoshi Kojima and Takashi Sugira um, versus Kongo, Katsuhiko, and Keno match from October 30th, 2022. Another phenomenal match. Um, two great challenges. They again, they should have been fucking champions. I really do feel mm-hmm. personally robbed um, of this, but I hope that in that Keno and Katsu also keeping the door open on their relationship, like this is really critical. And then um, Katsuhiko Nakajima versus um, Satoshi Kojima's thirty minute draw. This is from Diamond 5. That was December 18th, 2022. Um, This was incredible. And like we were saying before, like anything Kongo Triad, Katsu Keno Soya versus people like Sugira Goon, always guaranteed a great watch on these Mm. house shows. What do I have? Yeah, look, a lot of his N1 work um, between 2021 and 2022 uh, was like incredible. Um, I think it was, it was very short. But he had the match he had in the N1 against Funaki. I really enjoyed. What else was there? There was I just listening to the title reign itself, because obviously it wasn't even that long ago. And, you know, this year especially has been so heavily padded with a lot of story beats and things happening in both All Japan and Noah. Um, but you have, uh, was it? Was it Tanaka in between? Uh, it was Tanaka first and then Keno. Is that right? He wins in October, like early October. And then I think the Tanaka yeah. defense was like almost. Yeah, yeah. So then Tanaka must be like end of October. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Keno and him are in the end of November because Shio comes back on that show. And then they announced Kenta for the Budokan on that show at the very end of November. And then the yeah. Budokan was Shio. That's right. Okay. So. Great match between Tanaka and him, but take that aside. The following three defenses are the three most important and close men to him over the course of the last four years, I would say, in terms of partners, people that he works directly with in, a, in the same group, uh, and opponents, essentially. They're all wrapped up into the three uh, into the three categories. Um, and I think that there, I mean, when you look at it then, it almost seems like, and I'm sure it was purposeful with the Fujita title change, but you address everything that you probably wanted to address within those fir- with the, in those three um, defenses. Maybe, maybe a Sugiora defense would have been something else if we really wanted to put a cherry on top. But that's what uh, I feel be- also robbed of, though, yeah. is that like yeah. not having the Sugiora defense within that reign. 
look, I'd give him the title over Fujita any day of the week. If we if we had gotten through that and then lost it in the next defense to um, Sugiura, it's time for that man to have another GHC title run, in my personal opinion. Um, but I think, I think in terms of what you ultimately want of matches, barring the Sugiura, that's everything that you could possibly want. I mean, you have you have Keno, Go. And Massa, and like they are the three, easily the three most important men to that guy. Um, and then obviously Marafuji meant a lot, but we addressed that in the in the title change itself. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know how you could have a more perfect set of opponents in that short span. Mm-hmm. And I think the story with Tanaka too, if I'm not misremembering, is that he had never beaten Tanaka in a singles match before. So mm. there was something mm. even there. I think is the hook for that match, and it's still a good fucking match. But there was also, like, yeah. to your point a tremendous amount of story and that's why when i think yep. people still try to harp on about um fujita to me it's like yeah like we can talk about being disappointed that's how it ended but the fact that you also in the same breath never bring up the matches before as if they didn't happen and now they don't matter it just mm. tells me that you're not serious about katsuhiko nakajima as a wrestler you're not serious about pro wrestling noah aside from the normal things that happen in wrestling that make you know the rest the the booking rather um not that stellar um but yeah Mm. it just shows me that you're very unserious you're not here to have a serious conversation um if you are not referencing and realizing the importance of the story um that was happening in that second reign for katsuhiko so um that's where we i think have landed um with there i'm gonna jump into his final year in noah which i just kind of wanted to to pinpoint these really standout matches that he had i didn't like really go crazy with the dates or anything because we've talked about quite literally all of these matches on kick out i think mm -hmm, but he mm -hmm. had a phenomenal match that we referenced before to start off the year with shingo takagi i'm including that as a noah match because it was technically a new japan versus Mm. noah type of show but um God, I love that match. And then you had the defense against, um, or the defense rather, with Jake Lee, which mm-hmm. is an outstanding match. Yeah. Um, you have the match with Keno that came after he um, left Congo to rejoin or reform rather Axis. Um, that was a 45 minute um, draw in Shinjuku face, which is, I think, one of the more emotional matches of mm-hmm. um, this year and everything that it symbolized. Um, I'm going to reference this all together again, Tag, because I really liked that match. And that was mm. what he was dealt for the all together again um, sort of fanfare, if you will. Um, but he got to work with Shio um, against Hokotoa Mori. And I don't even remember who the stand in was for Shuji. Do you remember? Oh, oh it, was Kojima. it was Kojima. It was Kojima. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Shuji got sick and we got Kojima. So there was that match, which was very good. His work with. That was um, good. It yeah. was great. And then he also has um, his N1 performance from this year, which he had a very interesting story. Um, he act- he lost, I think, one match and then acted like he needed everyone in Japan to like really <laughs> rally behind him or he was just going to simply <laughs> perish. But he had some phenomenal performances in that. I mean, his opener mm. was against Soya. That is a barn burner of a fucking match. Yeah. One of the best, I would say, of the tournament. And it was the first match of the entire thing. Yeah. It was outstanding. Yeah. They have so much history together. And then you had his match against, I really loved his match against Wagner. Mm-hmm. And I thought that his match against um, Daiki Inaba was frankly a great match in this. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily love his match with Shio, but 
it was still a, a good match. Like, I don't think you can really, it's hard to get a, a bad katsu match, right? Like mm. that's who he is though. Like he, he is the consummate professional in that way. It's almost impossible to get a less than good performance out of Katsuhiko mm-hmm. Nakajima. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where um, we had him in terms of those matches. But of course we had the reemergence of, diamond ring and kensuke office and that storyline running from um with the announcement i think in january that we were getting a tag match in the tokyo dome as part of muto's retirement show which saw him um and other congo members against all japan members which included of course kento miyahara on the other side Mm. um that was outstanding it then led to masa having some interactions with kento over in all japan and then we got to one night dream in july which was a singles match between kento and katsuhiko the first singles match i think they've had in about seven or eight years um and the only one that is on tape the uh first three singles matches they've ever had together do not exist on tape Mm -hmm. which is a complete and total tragedy but um, obviously One Night Dream was a massive success. They sold out Corican almost immediately, um, which was phenomenal and very hard to do in this day and age in professional wrestling, but they managed to do it based on their names and people understanding the Diamond Ring Kensuke office story. So the story still mm. has lasting impact in people's minds. And when they think of the two of them and those two um, have a special connection to Quark and as a result as well. So any thoughts on um, the matches I've just referenced in One Night Dream? I think, I mean, maybe just in the circles that I run in, in terms of the companies that I watch, I, tw- I think 2023 might be one of the best years of wrestling that I, by the time we finish it, that I've I've gone I've as a fan watched actively through the entire thing. Um, I mean, with, not not even just like talking about his year specifically, but also just as a whole. Um, I don't. It's so strong. Like I I don't really know much to say. I mean, you just have to listen to the names and matches that you're listing off there. You have Shingo at the very start. Then you have the Jake defense, which was incredible. Another person that I can't get into it, but another person that people want to talk outrageous amounts of rubbish about. Then you have uh, Kento as well, and you have oh sorry, you have Keno first, and then you have Kento, and it's just like those are four dream singles matches that if you ask anybody, you know, in terms of picking a list, I think at least three of the four you would have in a, in a top ten um, immediately off, off the top of your head. But yeah, I just I don't know. It's it's just that thing, you know, like it's very clearly. I, I mean, it's sad, obviously, for Noah that he is going because i think this last year and this year specifically it's just a different type of stride that he's hitting um and it's a shame that he won't get to capital like they won't get to capitalize on that but they've had him for a fair bit of time so as you can as you've heard the long laundry list that we've listed for matches that you should check out with just this company alone um he has so much back catalog that you should go back and look at if you haven't seen already uh, that is well worth your time, but I, I don't. I just only see him rising from this point, regardless of where he goes. Um, I think we're pretty, like we've said, I think we're pretty certain on where it's going to be next for at least a little bit of time. Uh, but from that point going forward, I just don't see him being anything other than a star wherever he lands. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, just it's really hard because, like, your to your point, there's been so much excellent wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that like it's really hard to almost um try to even think of like ranking things of in importance because mm. we've seen so much great wrestling and Katsuhiko to his credit has been at the center of a lot of it it's it's interesting because he's not someone who has held a title this year he hasn't held the title since he lost the GHC heavy which you know in in my opinion is one of the failures of um Noah mm. not capitalizing on exactly who he is right but that being said, even in those those periods of time where he's not holding a title for this company, he is still at the center of Noah, having some of the greatest matches, um, getting the most um, people talking about him. Um, and that is really um, well and truly entirely to his credit. Um, but yeah, there's I think we've named so many matches that you can look at past and present um, at this point in terms of what you should be looking at with him. But he really is that kind of person where if you just see him in a match, like I think you can expect a certain level of quality. It's really hard to find like a bad Katsuhiko Nakajima match because he is, a, like I said, a consummate professional in every sense of the word yeah. in terms of what he's bringing to each and every match. And um, mm. every single match I've referenced from the final year in Noah, um, except for maybe the Shingo match, we have an episode where we talk about those matches um in depth so um please do check some of those out uh me and rachel in particular are, are extremely proud of um shinjuku face on a wednesday and our review of one night dream which is pretty comprehensive but also if you go to talking triple crown lewis got to talk about um one night dream with us right after it happened mm -hmm. so there's a lot of one night dream coverage there and just a lot of um diamond ring coverage in general from us so yeah Moving, I guess, to our little summary here of things. Any any more, like, I guess, final thoughts on Katsuhiko's legacy and impact on Noah as we envision him sort of moving away from the company after the 28th? And what um, opportunities do we see for the heavyweight main event scene with him leaving Noah? Mm. I think when it's all said and done, which will be shortly um, in terms of full-time employment under the company, this is somebody that is synonymous with the company. Like I really do think he's in that, that, that the conversation with, to me, the, to me, the five really are now that people think about are Sugiora, Marafuji, not in this order, but Sugiora, Marafuji, Kenta, Go and Katsu. Like they, that's the five to me um, that your mind immediately goes to in terms of, who do I resonate with in terms uh, with that, that company? Who has been at the top? Who is always in that conversation? It's those five ultimately. And, you know, now we've got two of them that will no longer be there. Um, and that's sad in some ways, but I think, I think just like you were saying about Kenta, I think this is the perfect time um, in, in his eyes. And I think also with hindsight, obviously it's different, but more so now than it was before. This company is in a very, very safe place like there is no risks financially that we need to really worry about um that him departing in any kind of capacity will change that um i think i think they're very very much in this new era um uh with jake and their movements going forward and i think the, the perception is that it's going really well so i think this is the perfect time for him to move on and do what he needs to do um what was the second part of the question <laughs> No, no worries. My question. my other question is with him leaving, what opportunities mm. do you see for the heavyweight main event scene in Noah? I pray to everything above that Inamora comes back and gets to a, a better position. Um, that is, if I had to like booking decisions aside, 
if I'm if we're talking about pushes and Massa actually no we'll go with Massa first because that still hasn't been addressed. I think Massa should just be slotted directly into his spot. Ultimately, I think he's proven so much uh, in this in the N one that just gone past in the last couple of years. This guy deserves to be in that main event scene, challenging for that title on a consistent basis. Like he should be considered one of their top options when it comes to title challenges um, as legitimate threats because that's what he is. Um, I think if we're addressing that, and I hope that they do, then the next one would be Inamora once he comes back because that is somebody that definitely needs... It, it's so overdue that, that 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 boy gets pushed into a position that he's worth, ultimately. I think he's being held back at this point, and it uh, it, it was upsetting to watch that N1 and see the results. Like he, he did great in ring, but the results that were shown from that in terms of wins and losses was, was a bit upsetting. Uh, I don't know about an excursion. I don't know if an excursion was necessary, but you know, whatever it is. That well, certainly not to, to where they that. sent him. Oh my hot. Yeah. Okay. We can't, if we talk about Brit res, we might have to get rid of We're gonna the have to wrap episode. it up now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, yeah. Let's we'll get rid of it. We'll just say, yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean. Like, I think, I think that Inamura has to play a role in the future of this company to be certain. Mm. Um, a hundred percent. Like, I think that it's, it's overdue at this point. I do feel more buoyed by the fact that we're actually making moves on someone like Asoya who is a tremendous mm. wrestler and a tremendous personality. And it seems like they are trying to make meaningful moves with him. I still don't know why he's not challenging Wagner for the national again. And it's Jack who's getting it instead. Mm. That doesn't make any sense to me, but that's like kind of the mystery of Noah booking. You just have to kind of take the, the random fucking shit that they do at this point um, and just kind of roll with it. I'm hoping though, that like this will work out to where Soya potentially will wind up with a singles belt. I think it's, I think he could, use a, a belt like the national at this point Absolutely. um i think there are like some some solid points of opportunity i think that jake lee in general is a, a fucking miracle like what they did mm-hmm. with him that every theme that they've hit throughout this reign where he is right now with this reign um is a miracle and a complete and total success regardless of what people on twitter try to tell you please understand this reign has been a complete and total success for jake and for this company I want them to really turn the corner on this with Katsuhiko, someone like we've really established throughout this episode is such a pillar of this company. With someone like that leaving, you need to show that you are securing your main event scene, right? Mm. You have someone like a Jake Lee, you have a Keno. They need to make sure that people like Masa, Soya, and Inamura are also focal points of this main event moving forward. Mm. I think Masa is some someone who, if they keep bungling for me, I'm going to like finally lose my fucking mind um, mm. because it's they are so behind to me in in being able to establish him as the person that he can be. I thought a yeah. tremendous moment for Masa was when he drew with Jake in the N1 um, this summer, and then they just don't capitalize on it. Um, that's disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing. And I think you're right. And I think like, I don't want to talk about it, but considering some of your future aspects are no longer an option. Um, I think you have very current ones that are ready to go right now um, that you could use like Sawyer and Massa are perfect, perfect options because both of them have shown. And again, both products of the Congo rub in terms of what they have got garnered out 
I mean, Massa was good before that, but w- what they have garnered out of that and and brought into their own, they are ready to go in that in those positions, and you need those people there. A hundred and ten percent. So, Katsuhiko, I think will go on to do great things. I think we've established that throughout the episode, and we are hoping that there are enough people that Noah can still establish um, in their heavyweight main event scene so that they can really turn the corner and make something of these different opportunities for them. Yeah, I think we kind of end where we begin, really, which is I think both of us are are quite excited about what's to come for Katsuhiko, and um, I know for me, I'm I'm really grateful for his time in in Noah, I mean, like his his time in Noah is is absolutely connected to my relationship to Noah, and I take my relationship to Noah very seriously. I did really love, and I'll just kind of make this my parting comment before we get into the end here. I did love that the poster that they made for these final two shows is a picture of him when he was GHG heavyweight champion for the first time, and then a more contemporary photo of him. Um, in his Axis shorts, and it said thank you and read script mm. on it. That's just a beautiful way to go out for him because I think that that is the thing that maybe should have been done for him differently than we saw it, but he really should have been thanked more for the time he put into this promotion to keep it going because he is one of those core people who helped keep this promotion going when we thought at points that Noah would have to shut its doors. Um, so he is owed a huge thank you. He is such a important piece of my love for Noah and always will be. That won't change. I mean, Kent is an important mm-hmm. piece of my love for Noah. He's not around, right? That won't change in, in Katsuhiko leaving, but I am tremendously excited for what comes next. And that's um, it's a good place to be in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think they don't really make them like Katsu anymore. Like the, he is somebody that is carrying the history of this company through the hardest times and was almost there from the beginning. He's a couple years shy, really, when he did first start wrestling for them um, and conceptualizing it into what it is today. Uh, and then you know that it is today. And I think that will continue on through the likes of other people um, that are in the company now. But he will always carry that spirit and he will always carry the spirit of Masala with him and, and is one of the few people that can still say that, that is still with the company and will continue to wrestle at the pace that he is. And he's 35 fucking years old, you know, like we are, we are just seeing the best of him now. And that's an insane thought to think, but um, yeah, everyone should stop stressing. It's going to be fine. He's going to make the right informed decisions. It's going to be okay. Exactly. So thank you, Lewis, um, for joining me. I really do appreciate you helping me out with this episode. Can you, um, as we're on our way out here, plug yourself and um, just let people know where they can find you again? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Alicia. Uh, My Twitter is uh, Hideki Suzuki's Purple Trunks. Um, If you want to ask about anything in relation to Old Japan or Noah uh, or, yeah, really just those two, uh, ask Alicia and then if she doesn't answer you then she you can ask me um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah if you want any links to anything that we were really talking about I think I have most of them or I could at least point you in the right direction um yeah I can't wait to see what happens going forward awesome and you can find me at Chernui Kai on Twitter but also Blue Sky I guess are you the same thing on Blue Sky no, I think I'm something different and don't go on there because I never check it. Yeah. <laughs> no one's active on Blue Sky right no. now, but we're we're there. You can look through my following to find Lewis. But yep, and you can find me and Rachel at Kickout299 on 
Twitter and Instagram as well. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or your um, podcast platform of choice. Uh, We are blown away always by support of you guys and the feedback that you leave us. And we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Um, So just again, thank you so much. And please um, consider doing so um, if you have not already. And I will be back in um, a little bit to do some post-Exodus All Japan chatting with Happy Wrestling Land. And I'm excited to do that. Um, So yeah, thank you all so much. And I will talk to you soon.